and we're live. I'm joined today by Simon Andrucetti, and this is another episode of Off the Lead and On the Road because we are. Where are we, Simon? We are in uh, Distilled SEH, which is in Golden Lane in uh, Dublin 8. Okay, and Distilled SEH, who or what are they? So Distilled SEH are a company that basically came, joined, or came together as a joint venture in 2016, or end of 2015, 2016. And basically what essentially what it is is that Distilled Media, uh, that would be known as um, Daft and Adverts, um, and the journal basically came together with Dundeal.ie. Um, Dundeal.ie was ran by, um, sold ran by a company, a family in Wexford, a husband and wife, Ger and Fred. And they basically set up Dundeal and, a, and an opportunity came after a separate buyout to basically do business together with the guys from Distilled Media. So now we have this happy family that's sitting in a new media group, which is Dundeal, Adverts and, and Daft. So it's pretty exciting. It's pretty is Boards still in there? Boards is... Boards.ie? Yeah, so Boards is still owned by the guys, um, but it's, it's, it's ran as a separate entity. So it's 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 not winning it's not winning the, the, the still group. So it's it's still there. It's still a massively popular website, uh, popular website, and the journal is in the same building, but they're outside of the group as well. So we kind of we work all together, but we all share our resources and work together. So it's it's pretty it's very cool. Savage. And just to give people listening a bit of a, an insight into how you ended up coming here, we worked together once upon a time for our sins in Aircom. The glory times. The glory, glory times. times. The, yeah. the good old days. And the, and the peaks of 2009. <laughs> <laughs> when you couldn't sell a house or you couldn't you couldn't think, but there was one place that could take us in was Aircom. It was Aircom, yeah. yeah. God fucking help us. I hated that place with an absolute undying passion. I still wake up at night kind of <laughs> worrying that I have to go in in the morning. Like It's like, remember you had to get the 30 calls in and it was a case of, that was our only KPI every week was to make sure you rang the 30 clients. And as you lost more and more interest in the company, you'd, be like, <laughs> you'd just be making things up. You're like, oh, yeah, rang Mr. Joe Blog. There is uh, broadband's working fine. And he just asked, could I get a call back in two weeks' time? And you're like, <laughs> job's done. <laughs> Thanks, Aircom. After that. Sorry, Air. Air, yeah. <laughs> we have to remember the rebranding. Oh, God. There's nothing that company can do that will make me hate them any more than I already do. But, you know, give them time. Oh. Um, so we were working there together 2009 and yeah. I actually moved on to Daft which in a weird way was actually these offices here so it's kind of cool to be back here in a, on yeah. my own terms in, in a weird way yeah. but you you were with Aircom for another while I was I was with Aircom for so my stint in Aircom literally Aircom was like I was working at myhome.e before Aircom and I was literally working there when the crash kicked in not a great place in the world to be working when a recession comes in, which is mainly driven by property. So there was obviously some downturns in the in the in the business. And actually, funny enough, now in credit to myself, it wasn't that I was made redundant. I got greedy. Um, a company came up, approached me at the time, and they offered me a ridiculously high wage. Sorry, this is when you were with my yeah, home. When I was with my home, yeah. So was, they offered me a ridiculously high wage. I don't even have this on my CV. I don't have it anywhere. They offered me a ridiculously high wage. And I said to me, just staying in a, a comfortable position in my home to leave, I jumped ship and went across to this company. And it was a, a print media company. Blindsided as a young... God, I must have been only... I'd say I was only 26. I think I was only 26. I don't know. 
um, went over there, blindsided by money, went over, and it was the worst mistake I ever met. Three months after it, job didn't work out, and of course, I was out of my year, and I didn't have any to work. But the following week, I had an interview straight away with Aircom, and the next day, they offered me a job. So I was like, like when are you free to run work? And I was like, oh, actually, sorry, Aircom says, like, we don't need to start the first of next month. So I basically just took a month off and sat at home, and that was my only time where it was the closest thing to ever being redundant. And I, but the minute, I was only two days after being redundant, I knew I was going to have a job for like starting a job the next month on the first. So it was great. And that's when I started Aircom in 2000. And I don't know when what it was. I think it's either 2007 or 2000. No, it would have been 2009. I don't know when we were in Aircom. Well, it was post crash. So the arse yeah. fell out of the So it's 2009, 2010. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, around about that. Around about that. You've been in that kind of. So sorry, you went. You were with my home. You went to that other crowd. Didn't work out. Went to Aircom. You were doing account management myself. Doing account management, yeah. And then it was a case of working away in account management, and everything was going fine. A good laugh there. Made some good friends. That's all I would take from it. And um, but then my old sales manager from when I was younger, uh, Gavin O'Brien, we worked together in CBG, uh, Car Buyers Guide, and um, he basically was a new or a new sales commercial manager for. Um, a company called Grad Ireland and I went into working in Grad Ireland and what Grad Ireland was doing was they were um, a publishing company uh, print and online and what they did was they worked with all the major IT companies or actually they worked with all the major companies that wanted to have a graduate program um, so they would have go in and advise and work with the recruitment team to help them bring graduates into their business um, so that was pretty cool. Lots of experience come through there. But the great thing about that was you were working with like the big four, working with all the IT giants, working with everyone and kind of going into so anyone from IBM up to Jesus Intel to work out with Google, Facebook, the whole lot and trying to help them recruit graduates. Because even though you think that I never realized everybody just wants to, it doesn't matter what degree or what the princi- principle, the, uh, what you studied, they just basically wanted you if you had a 2-1. And that was a real eye opener. And again, for, for people who wouldn't be familiar with what a 2-1 is. So a 2-1 degree. So yeah. a 2-1 degree or a 2-1 degree or a first degree, I suppose. First being the highest uh, level degree or you can get when you're doing a degree in college. And then a 2-1 is the next grade down. So that's all that employers at the time were interested about. It wasn't, it was just a case they were just chasing. And our job in Grad Ireland was to help get the companies in front of them. Kind of rambling on a little bit. But that again, I was only there, I was there for actually three years. And it was during those three years then again just kind of plowing through the recession you know was i happy with money i was not it was just a case of it was a job and i suppose in those times you just had to focus on more of doing things for the sake of doing them but then i got a phone call one day from an old friend that i actually i used to work with in my home.ie always good always kept my connections and me Scully, and he asked me to go and have a cup of coffee with him and within a month later, I was working for Dundeal.ie. But Grad Ireland, it's still in that kind of digital world, say. Yeah. Very much so. Like. Yeah. So you never really, like, was that, like you were with Car Buyer's Guide, was that your first dabble with the kind of online world? Yeah, it was. So Car Buyer's Guide started when I was ter- 23, and it was very much, I went in there and was working on print, but that's when I started working on digital. And... I don't know what it was about it. It was just like it was working with it and seeing how quick it could go up. And after you did something, how quick the change you'd have and watching how people interacted with it. And straight away, I was drawn into digital, drawn into working with websites. 
digital marketing wasn't even a term then it was just like i suppose back then if you ask someone to have their stock up on a, a website or they thought their stuff was going to be their their stock was going to be advertised across the country in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes or i suppose a couple of uh, maybe a half an hour an hour back then it was a case of they just basically thought it was witchcraft but even now hearing you say that like you said minutes and then you said oh no it was no. probably half an hour like to me now and to everyone else listening half an like what the fuck did it take it so long half an hour for it to go national like what the yeah, fuck it's just like to get the videos li- or get the sorry to get the images live when you think about it because we all take it for granted now that it, when we click on something that it's just live straight away it wasn't always like that the servers were not in the way that they are now it wasn't a case of that you went on and you know you, you switched your phone on and it connected to the internet straight away or like you, you didn't even have half the technology that you had on your phone back then there was no back then there was no youtube there was no the facebook was only kind of starting off there was no twitter you know and i think people forget about how young these companies are so when you're working on a company like that and you have to appreciate companies like cvg are out now and they're, they're still putting they're still out there and they're doing their business and then you've got companies like carzone but they and even daft when it started off and even looking at that like when i spoke to brian and Eamon about this before who set up daft like the way they used to get the photographs up onto the site is that a, a state agent used to send them an envelope with 50 pounds in it and Hilarious. they used to have the details of like how and then they typed it in themselves and put it up and that's what it was like in in cbg it was like you didn't have people logging into the back end of the website and you know uploading their cars and doing it all themselves the dealers rang in and said right i want to have my cars in and it was a team of people and it was their job to like i remember one of my friends work a good few of my friends worked on the team and it was theirs like literally taking photographs a photographer went out took photographs of the cars for the dealers brought the photographs into the into the into the the offices in sandyford then someone would take the photographs off the digital camera put them onto like one computer with all the photographs then all the photographs have to be named then the photographs have to be uploaded manually and the car description would have to be put in for each one of the jobs and then those those cars so like to get what we what takes now with done deal and to get their stock up on site what it takes like literally seconds it used to be like a day or day or two's work to get those the same product that's up there now yeah well, well and it's just like it's it's phenomenal like it's phenomenal when you think about how how quick it is now like it was literally only earlier on today i put an ad up on done deal for my mom she uh she's on her couch so you know cream leather corner couch or whatever um she sent me the photos of via whatsapp and included the description and the dimensions and all the rest of it and i'm i'm receiving this saying to myself would have been fucking easier for for her to do it herself like (laughs) and i actually i was i was passing the house and i called in and and i said listen i'm gonna actually do this here in front of you to show you how easy it is, yeah. she had done deal on her phone yeah. from just browsing or whatever. She hit the like the menu button, hit the place add button. It asked her for her photos immediately. She had them on her phone. She put yeah. them in. She had the price, you know, copy and pasted all the details from the WhatsApp message she yeah. sent me into the ad. Boom, live. And I go, there you go. And she actually genuinely said like, and oh right that's it and i'm like well yeah and she's like fucking hell that's class and it is and like yeah. in such a such a short space of time from needing practically a team of people to do that you know over a couple of days to doing it yourself yeah and it's like and on on the like dundee is dundee is such a success story like where it's where it came from and you know there's other companies out there that if they had half a brain they could have moved on the market and there's some big companies that lost out on not making that move and the most obvious one is to buy our buy and sell 
and buy and sell doesn't even exist anymore in Ireland. It's gone, is it? Yeah, it's officially gone now. So for a while there, the independent group bought it over. They bought it for a couple of million. I didn't even buy it for a couple of million. I think it was like three hundred thousand. It was it was anybody's. You could have got it with a credit union loan, and it was like it was up for grabs. But they missed a trick, and they did very well. Where at one stage in their peak, they had like you know two papers, two weekly papers, and they had regional papers going on and. Shafeka, like you weren't even buying anything you'd pick up to buy and sell just in case yeah. but the other company everyone always forgets about that they missed out on the um the buy on the classifieds and more so probably the ones that have a bigger turn their body is and decide is the independent group because they had the herald the herald was the premium when it came to classifieds they had it sewn up they had it like if you were selling a car and you wanted to get into the, both the evening and the and the and uh, the later edition uh, newspaper it used to cost you a fortune and then people used to rush out to the shops on a wednesday to get the paper because that's when the fresh ads came out yeah and when you think about them, those ads would be there for three days is that why they have the what was it called the people i used to work in a shop so people used to ask for the city final is that what the the did they re- release two papers they a day? There was at one stage in, in the papers when they were like, I suppose, when they were like, when it was as popular as it was and it was selling out, there used to be two editions of the Herald. And that's when you knew when the Herald used to be a he- an evening edition. That's how yeah, much revenue. Yeah, the city final, I think Yeah, the city, it. and it was like, that just goes to show you how much advertising revenue that was, was coming out. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that a paper exists for, the only reason is basically for media advertising. And it's a case of, okay, it's a source of information but it was a case of they could blood it out and they had enough information going on and they had enough content and obviously what content is driven by is media spend and they could invest to have an extra publication coming out and I, I, can, I can imagine how much money it's like kind of gone slightly off track as well it's like when they used to have that free paper that used to be handed out every day in Dublin it would have been when we were in Aircom used or, to be it's not, used, it's not a thing yeah, anymore that's gone now as well right. and all that was that was just advertising driven as well of course so but going back to the classifieds the independents I'd say I've I would say that they are the ones that they feel most hard done by by not moving their business online at a specific time and being too focused on because too focused on print because there was so much money to be made in print. But the thing is that if you always focus on if you always focus on the money when you have a business and you're in a transitional state of a transitional state of period like that where it's a case of right, I can keep doing what I'm doing now and it will we'll, we'll keep plodding along and we'll keep making our money X amount each month. We'll probably grow the margin a little bit. But if your user behavior starts changing, i.e. going online, then you need to adapt your business. And all these companies that were making their money off print weren't, they didn't see the shift. They either ignored the shift or didn't think it was going to be as good as it was. But Dundeal came along. And Dundeal came along and they basically just made it very simple for people to buy things online and... Um, amongst itself and basically created Ireland's largest marketplace and I mean for everything and I mean like from livestock to sheep to cat to sheep to cows and um, chickens to furniture to cars tractors bicycles and the funny thing is when you when you look at the data that's behind on there that's one thing that's always amazed me from the minute I came into the company like is that when you look into the analytics behind it like if we were to add up all our traffic together, you would have a, an un, uncountable number. It'd be more people, 10 times the amount of traffic that is it, the amount of people that live in the country would be on the website. But what you learn is, is that you've got 60,000 people that come in and look at bicycles every, every month. But then you've got like in the tractors, you've got 125,000 people that are going over looking tractors. Then in cars, you've got like, you know, like 600,000 people looking at cars. Cars would be a main focus because cars, cars are something that everybody is interested in buying. 
But then you've all these little splinter eco groups going on within the site. Like there's enough traffic there. You could probably have a standalone bicycle website for selling used bikes. There's enough traffic there going to the agriculture side that you could probably have a standalone agricultural. And all these other websites exist. But what Dundeal did was it brought it all, it brought it all together underneath one umbrella where people just go to. And it turned into a saying as well. It's a done deal. You know, you'd go did, on. Did it? What? Which came first? The saying, it's a done no, deal? No, the name or? came from the saying. The name of the company yeah, came course, from the yeah, saying. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were oh, yeah. good. They weren't we're, that we're, good. We're, we're, <laughs> we were no halo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking wanna, brilliant. Will I flick that off the heating there? It's, or, or. No, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's gone. Okay. Um, what was I going to say? So, you're, you've been immersed in the digital world you know, 10 plus years, say. And you touched on something there, like you were you were saying about Dundeal even, that you have X amount, 100,000 people are looking at bikes, X amount, 100,000 people are looking at, you know, tractors. I know, like, I've sold a telescope on Dundeal. Yeah. I, I've bought, you know, hydroponic growing material on, on Dundeal. Like, there's fucking everything and, and anything on it. But noticing how many people are in different groups, like, I'm surprised... Like what what was the figure you said on bikes? Uh, roughly speaking, no, it's it's it roughly because it's one thing that always you kind of after working on it for years, you, the numbers kind of stand out with you. So if you were to look at just the bike section, we're actually clicking on the Icon bike section every month to go in and look specifically at bikes. You're looking at around sixty thousand people. Okay, so sixty thousand people, and roughly on tractors, say or tractors which, is actually quite big. So tractors is I think it's over three hundred thousand. Okay, so to me now that's fascinating. Being in a position whereby you can tell what maybe not what percentage of the population, but you, you have the fucking figures, you have the raw data on, you know, like put it this way, if you were to have asked me what's more popular on Dundee, bicycles or tractors? I would have said bicycles, obviously, by a massive margin, because everyone's buying bikes or looking at bikes. You know, I own a bike, most of my mates own a bike, you know, I've probably bought two or three bikes in my lifetime, I'm never going to buy a fucking tractor. Yeah. Um, so I would have assumed the bicycles there was a, a bigger market in bicycles than there would be for tractors, at least in eyeballs. Obviously, a, a tractor could cost, you know, 100 grand or whatever the fuck they cost, and a bicycle won't cost as much as that. But the point that I'm, I'm laboring to make here is the likes of the distilled SCH group and Dundeal and My Home and all these other kind of digital agencies, it's the data that's the, the sweet spot for these companies. Yeah. And they know the market better than the market knows itself nearly and they know their consumers better than they know their self and I've touched on this a couple of times in the podcast before because it's fucking scary to a degree um, you that's been submerged in the kind of digital world for god knows how long what's your t- take on on digital media and social media etc okay so just to kind of go back on a point and maybe it's just the way you would say it but the way we would look at it and I suppose maybe I'm, I'm gonna speak as in with the company voice is that we don't look at it as in like that we know more than consumer and we definitely don't look at it like we know more than the user what we do is we look at the patterns and we see what the users want so done deal is different that basically thinking about this is something that you'll, you'll know yourself now and look at websites right the problem about a website is now that if a website becomes popular you'll hear people that set up websites and like right i want to make a website i want to make it profitable and the first thing you think is right the minute i can make it profitable i need to get up so many you i need to get so many thousand unique users or unique users onto my website i need to generate so many impressions and then they like they, they make the mistake of tapping in advertising into it straight away and that's all they're into it if you design a website and your sole purpose is to make websites to make money you're going to fail 
and that's that's it bottom out but what if you design a website and you focus on user experience and the thing is that you need to focus on is not what the what you have to focus on the why and that's key in all, I think in all walks of business and if you can focus on what is the business why is your business there what is your business like why is your business going to help the user why is it going to help the consumer what what is the purpose and why why are you going to do that and if you focus on your business being a solution to what's out there then that's how your business and that's been the core strength and the core gold and I suppose the goals within the company so the way we are generating now so the, since the joint venture has happened the Eamon and Brian Fallon and the company Distilled SEH have massively reinvested in all the websites so they massively invested in Daft and they're focusing on that I can't speak too much about Daft because I know it's a case of growing but my main focus is obviously on Dundeal and where I sit in my role is I focus on the motor department of Dundeal um, so the way the business is actually broken up is that it's not a case we look at the website separately we look at the whole distilled we look at motor property and general so general it would be across all websites it would be across the uh, done deal adverts across the marketplaces property is obviously is daft and then motor is basically the motor channel done deal which is the highest and most visited area of the website so that's the core area that we're set focusing on the business at the moment and i suppose it's a case of we could say that we know the marketplace but we know the marketplace because the marketplace uses us their first choice to go to to sell cars there's loads of competitors out there and there always will be loads of other websites out there that are trying to sell cars and buy cars and there'll be always other websites there's particular websites out there that they have a presence for themselves or because they've been around so long and that's that's fine and it's very it's like they'll always be there but the difference what we're doing now is instead of just trying to be another advertising platform we are a solution and we are going to change how people buy and sell cars in ireland and it's not that we're going to change it to suit us we're just trying to help with the solution because people aren't going to showrooms anymore they're not going into like car dealerships they're doing all their research online so what we're going to do is we're going to give them the information they want they don't want to be reading in reviews after reviews after reviews they want to read some reviews but then they want the technical specs they want to like the information that's going to help them take that purchase and this is that's the direction that we're going with done deals so it's a case of just kind of go back to where kind of got onto that it's a case of do we know everything about the consumer no but we're learning all the time and what we're trying to do is mold our business into what what they actually want into their path there's a a, a kind of a strange dichotomy there companies such as yourselves giving the consumer what they want but there's a, there's a fine line between giving the consumer what they want and dictating to the consumer what they want and i suppose what, what i'm getting at there is you're saying on one hand that people aren't going into showrooms they're going online so you've you've noticed this trend and you're you're mm. you're putting the showrooms online essentially but you get to dictate what goes online so if if for example dundeal decides for whatever reason say hypothetically that they don't like volkswagen anymore you know do they push the other brands more so or, again hypothetically volkswagen aren't playing ball with you for whatever reason and they say no like we're we're strong enough in the marketplace we don't need someone like done deal so you know we're not going to play ball basically so you say okay well we'll just promote all the other brands and then from the consumer's point of view they just don't see as much of volkswagen as they used to and sales across volkswagen's platform kind of drops so you see you see the point i'm trying to make so here you're, you're well, in a very yeah well, you see that's the point so you're the way you're basing that model on is the mistake what websites make all the time 
they focus on the revenue they focus on how they're going to monetize their website so for example in the next two weeks we're going to launch a whole new section on Dundee and it's called the new car showroom and what the new car showroom is that instead of looking for brands to partner with us we've already gone and spoke to every manufacturer in the company we've already got their feedback we've already done focus groups with the manufacturers we've done focus groups with with dealers we did surveys we did market research we did focus groups with the end user we went out to our pro users our pro users are the people who obviously use their website the most and then we went to our ones that are the, the, the early adopters and the late adopters we went to people who used androids and we went and asked our whole user base what if like what is the main problems they have when it comes to buying a new car and what to see and from all that year and a half research and work we're now and the work like over the last couple of months so my role within Dundee is basically a strategic account director and my role is to make sure the relationship at the top level is in place and that when we're going out and talking to each one of their brand networks dealer networks that they fully understand what Dundee is doing so the model that you explained there or the way you would see a business rolling something out that's the model of like you know suck it or see either partner with us or feck off like you know what i mean and that's not the approach we have where the approach we have is like we're actually going to list every single new car that's available to buy in the market we're going to list it in two weeks time on the on done deal dolly and we're going to advertise it all up and the reason we're going to do that is because people are coming on to Dundee now the new trend is and some people out there still think that Dundee is for like the lower value cars the most searched car our year car on Dundee at the moment is 2016 2017 cars so what we're doing is now we're going to basically put new cars on it and we're going to put them in the stream so as people are looking at cars and looking at used cars and because dealers are advertising new cars on Dundee as well that in every other fifth place we're going to have a new car ad and when you click into that it'll give you the details on that car now, if the brand wants to partner with us and they decide to partner us and the majority of the top 10 brands in Ireland have already agreed at some level that they are going to partner with the new car showroom when it gets up and running, what they'll do is that the user will get an enriched experience. So they'll have more branding on it. The, the, the manufacturer will be able to put in the brochure into it. They'll be able to enrich it in. So there's like what we're calling the vanilla version, which is basically unenriched and it'll just have the car's details. It'll have how many miles per gallon it'll do. It'll have the, like, you know, the, the, the speed. It'll the have, nuts and bolts. It'll have the nuts and bolts and it'll be a really good user experience. And if the manufacturer wants to come and work with us because they see the benefit and the solution that we're after providing, then we can give an enriched experience. So, the, spoken like a true salesman. <laughs> look, I'm just here to bring you on the journey, you know, friend. And it's like this is this is the dream. This is this is where we're going, and it's 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 really as beautiful as that. You love it though. You do. You genuinely, yeah, genuinely do. do. You're yeah. into it, like yeah, yeah. It's, it's palatable. Like you're you're no, you're, I, you're like, a genuine I, lad. I genuinely like. I'm very very lucky that I am in a position in my career where and i have been for i'm with dundee distilled working with lads now five years in march and i have to say i'm sitting here my my runners and my, my jumper and my t-shirt and it's easy going and it's it's like it's 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 a great place to work the atmosphere and even after going through so many joint ventures and buyouts and all sorts of stuff and they can be stressful times that i passionately love what i do i love working in the environment i do and would I ever go and work for the big giants, American giants? No, it never, because I always want to be in this startup uh, atmosphere. And that's the way it's still treating the business. Now, you can come in here and some days you're pulling the hair out of your head, the next stage you're not, but it all makes sense. We're all like pushing towards the same goal. And it's the same way I spoke about it there is the way everyone speaks about it in the company. Yeah, you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've, heard, I've heard great things. Getting back to, or moving away from, let's say, distilled then, which... Um, has a very, I suppose, startup vibe to it. 
even though it might be around a long time, getting onto the big players. Yeah. You mentioned before we started recording the big four, as you yeah. put. Who who are the big four, say, for so, people who wouldn't know? So the big four, um, the big four when you're talking about in the digital landscape is you're talking about Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. Okay. okay. Now, what's been happening for years is that the, and I was actually only starting to watch a, a kind of a, an inter, uh, a basically, uh, um, there was a lecture that was on, someone actually sent across me on this very topic, and I was just starting to watch it this evening. But it was a case of it's looking at the big four and how they're positioned in the market. And each of them have basically been plodding along beside each other. Now, I suppose to Irish um, people, Amazon won't resonate with you as much as it would in America. And the reason being is that in, in Ireland, Amazon is here in the background. We're kind of buying a little bit off it. You'll get some people who are like, oh, I love Amazon, but it's it's not it's not like everybody's jumping to say they're on Amazon. Yeah, they don't ship here, and it's kind of it can be a bit awkward at yeah, times. And yeah. But in America, Amazon is now $1 out of every $4 spent. I, did I hear, was it three quarters of everything that was sold during Black Friday? Friday was on, was Amazon. on, Amazon, was on Amazon. Amazon, which so makes every, Black Friday, Amazon Friday practically. Yeah, so, and, they're, and they're actually, so you know why in China they have Singles Day? And Singles Day is, uh, Singles Day is basically uh, like fr- back Black Friday, but the only difference is within 24 hours it does something like 18, 18 billion or something crazy yeah, like yeah. that. So it's unreal. But in America at the moment, when it comes to online spend, every one euro of online spend out of every four is through Amazon. And that's it's phenomenal like to spend and the reason why amazon is getting so big in the states and why it's going to start becoming more of a vocal point for us over here is because amazon haven't recorded or basically uh, recorded any profit over the last four or five years and for the last four or five years amazon for every cent they do they pay off their wages they pay their staff very well they cover their costs and every bit of profit they've made the last five years they've pushed it back into uh, research and development and now because of that business model that they started to do, I think it was maybe even back as six, six or seven years they've started doing this. And because of that like that amount of growth, nobody does that. Nobody takes all their profits and puts it back in research. And now what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing more of a focus. So if you look at what's actually a focus point for us over here is Facebook. So you have Facebook. Facebook is very big now because within the within the big four you have to look at what's connected to the big four so everyone always thinks of facebook when you look at facebook you have to look at what includes facebook and the size it is in the country and we just talk about and is also whatsapp and instagram so that's that is facebook now when you talk about google you have to look at google as being gmail and youtube yeah you can't just look at it as a thing and then we look at basically um who is your own now facebook amazon Oh, Apple. Apple. So Apple is, Apple is Apple is Apple. And Apple is a hardware company. They're they're making the devices. I think they have the most beautiful marketing uh, strategy ever, and they have people wrap, like sucked into it. So like every time they bring out a new device, people jump on it, and that's amazing. But what really bugs me about the top four, and I suppose you could, instead of talking about, I suppose where their business path is, I wouldn't be a fully like comfortable talking about because I don't know the full ins and out. But when it comes to like the likes of social media, there's one thing I have been learning about over the last year or so about social media is that I suppose it's how social media and especially Facebook is using their apps to basically suck us in and to train us to react to it. Because like Facebook, as we all know, is that they're pushing out more ads all the time. And because they're pushing out more ads and everything else, they need to think like, how are they going to get you back in? And what they've done over time now is they've basically trained it with that little sound and 
to basically pull you back in that when you hear that little notification sound that your your brain reacts to it and something that i've heard so many times at different lectures and different talks about that is like it's like what's the first thing you now look at in the morning do you turn to your missus and look at her adoring or the first thing you wake up is pick up your phone and see what's actually happening on your phone yeah no, of course it's the phone yeah, straight away it's phone straight away every time my missus doesn't tell the time though <laughs> <laughs> but no no I, I get entirely where you're coming from it is yeah. it's it's the it's the first thing i suppose I, I would look at is is the time second then is you know if something's come in uh more recently it's the podcast many fucking views or whatever downloads yeah. has gotten that's obviously an a, I suppose an obsession of mine of of the last month or two, but um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's literally the first thing. It starts off your day. So see what you just said there about building up perception, perception, and, and it's basically going on and seeing how many views and how many um, how many notifications your podcast are after getting. So that's that's us involving. That's us like kind of going on now. And it's okay. So when when we do something and we put something on the internet, we want to see what reaction. We want to see like what response did that get online now it's completely different when you're talking about podcast and you're talking about like you know putting a bit of literature up online or talking about something that it has meaning to it and that's brilliant but the problem is what facebook has tapped into that facebook has tapped into our minds and it's actually our, our brains have now evolved so if you take the the big end of things like doing something that's worthwhile and then take it down to all the fucking crap down the bottom what they've done is they've trained their brains that so every time you wake up in the morning and not so much us but like on the younger side side of it not that we're old friend but like <laughs> you maybe no <laughs> just because it's a podcast they can hear it in your voice friend <laughs> but like on the lower end like it's a case of kids like teenagers going on and they're posting like you know videos of themselves being drunk or doing stupid things and they put up a negative comments because it gets a reaction and the reason that is is because younger people now have actually involved that their brain is producing this new chemical that wasn't around 20 years ago and what this chemical it is it solely comes from um that's basically developed by notifications through on phones and through social media and it's simply what it is is that when someone gets that notification there's done a massive study now in cyber psychology on it that basically when someone gets a, a notification ping or a sound that basically this chemical is released in your brain almost like serotonin almost like this like cocaine we're reacting to synapses in your brain that now social media and that's why social media over the last while every app you have has now developed a new sound and each one of the sounds that they've developed under notifications is basically after being copyrighted and it's been patented so they all have different sounds and they're all different disciplines and what it is is it actually trains your brain so when you get a notification on your favorite app that boom your brain reacts to it and that's where it's after going to. And to bring it down to very, very simple terms, when you, when you train a dog and you press a clicker, the dog does what you do and the dog reacts to it and it takes time to click it. That is what social media has done to the, to humans over the last couple of years. And social media are fully aware of this. And this is how they get in. So it's a case of people used to say when social media came out that it was just like a habit. Oh, it's really addictive. Well, that addiction has now turned into something. And it's it's a real thing now, and it won't go away. And it's, that's why our our kids are are fucked. Do you, know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you paint such a pretty picture. <laughs> I have to go back to the, this this chemical thing now because yeah, psychology and neuroscience and neurology is yeah. a is is a hobby of mine, as such. Say yeah. So. I don't understand how it could possibly be a new chemical. I could see how it might be a new way of, you know, activating serot- serotonergic or dopamine. 
adrenergic functions, but a new chemical? Or no, I wouldn't say, well, maybe I have it wrong in saying it's a new chemical, but it's a new way definitely of reacting to it. Yeah, so yeah, it's a of case activating. of activating it and it causing a reaction. And it's it's basically how social media, so the way to look at it is social media has tapped into your, into, into your brain um, and it's the same way with Google. Like it's a case of you look at Google to answer any questions, but when it comes to social media, yeah, all I know is that it's a case of it was a paper I was reading about so it was cyber psychology as a master's. I want to start getting, I want to start in the next year or two. So it'll be t- uh, just to basically get the t- title of a cyber psychologist. But I was reading nice. a couple of papers that are covered off, and I was reading a couple of the case studies that kind of kind of see what kind of content to cover. And the one article that I kind of read through in particular it focused on the reaction that social media is having on the brain and how people and there's a massive there's a massive study piece on it and there's more and more scientists tapping into it so maybe don't quote me on it being a new chemical you know? <laughs> not at least it's only words your... fran it's only words <laughs> uh, yeah maybe when i'll quote you i'll quote you have as having said that when you're uh, what's the term uh cyber psychologist, cyber psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go back and do part two <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but i mean it's it, fuck me it's it's fascinating the fact that that you know the di- the digital world say is is producing new degrees if nothing else yeah. like that that in itself is just fucking mind blowing um and we've mentioned that on the podcast before it's come up a couple of times now one would i think uh paul webster what we discussed was he he's our age well he'd be my age he wouldn't be quite as old as yourself <laughs> but uh what we mentioned was, or what came up in our pod, the podcast we did together was, people of our age, let's say early 30s, they remember a time pre-social media. Mm. So we're, we're we're blessed to have had that. Yeah. But I mean, if you're, like, I don't know, like let's say if you're, like, the internet proper is probably around... If you're 20, you don't remember. If you're, like, if you're 20, you do not remember a life without social media. Yeah, of course. Because you're not going to remember, like, you know... You might remember, like, I don't know how much, you know, when people say, I remember being five. Do you really? Look at here. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eating stone, picking yeah. your nose. So, I mean, like, it does fucking floating about. Like, you're not, you haven't switched on at that stage. But I think if you're 20, I don't, I don't know how much of life do you not know that didn't involve having a digital phone in your hand. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. absolutely. And a, a big, a big, a big downside to that is, like, when we were small, say, um, and you got in trouble. You were, you know, either sent to your room, or maybe, maybe your mom and dad were on the phone or in the shower, or you know, there was times when you had time to yourself yeah. to reflect on maybe what happened earlier on in the day. Or, but these days you don't have a fucking split second because, and it's not because other people have taken it away from you, but you know, the hand goes into your pocket. You take out your phone, and you know, you're you're you're, you're looking at whatever it is you're looking at. But I mean, is there? there sh- should there be? Uh, almost like an age profile for social media should like, I mean, where, where is this going or where should it be going? So I totally agree. Uh, I, I get where you're going with this and to bring it into context, why I'd be so favorable in, in actually having, um, age limitations when it comes to social media, but like, how would you ever police it? And I think this doesn't, it need, I don't think this needs to be policed as in it needs to be governed. Yeah, I think it's just something that parents should take on board. So my daughter, Sophie, um, who's 14 now in January, she's very much like she's on. So she's not on Facebook because I don't want her to be on Facebook. So this is this is me basically doing what I preach. So we're not letting Sophie go on Facebook. I don't want her to be on Facebook. And maybe when she's 16 or 17, if we get her to hold out to that stage. But I think she understands now that Facebook is just like it's no point being on it. 
but she is on she has got whatsapp she has got instagram she has got snapchat i think that's it and sorry what's like what's the difference between say snapchat and facebook so snapchat is basically she's communicating between her and her friends and even my own friends and she's sending snapchats around and because her snapchats are absolutely harmless and she's just having a crack on it and even some of my mates have, have said that she's funnier on snapchat than i am I think they're just being nice. Um, <laughs> I look much better with puppy dog filters. <laughs> you know, it's like, but she's she's sending those snaps around and she's having the crack and everything else. And then she might have Instagram and she's she likes using Instagram and everything else. But the difference is, the only people that can contact her on uh, Snapchat are the people that are basically, you know, um, that she's connected with or friends with and that's it and people on Instagram the only people that connect with us now I know what everyone's thinking out there is like oh you can put your Facebook on privacy yes you can but the news feeds the advertising all those additional things that come through on Facebook they're not that's Facebook pushing content out at you and that's the content I don't want her to see even if it because is designed for a 14 year old girl 100% because yeah. what Facebook do is Facebook have live auctions every night and they resell their data and they basically have uh, information coming through and without spooking a lot of your listeners out there it's well like that if you have a conversation on WhatsApp now and if you don't have your chatting settings changed you will start noticing go in and start talking about events that are coming up this summer then go to your Instagram page and all of a sudden like witchcraft you're going to start being remarketed by keywords that are used in your WhatsApp conversations across Facebook and Instagram. It's already started happening. So in the way that Google, first of all, when people used to go into Gmail and write in emails, you used to get the AdWords coming up the side and that was completely acceptable. So this is no shock what Facebook is after doing. And that's why Facebook paid over the odds to buy WhatsApp the minute it came on the market. It wasn't the company. It was the data and it the, was the, the data. potential of it the data. It was the potential. And they saw what Google did. And Google basically was able to drive up human behavior and copy what people were doing because of Gmail. Because they were watching what people were writing in emails. If you actually think that that, informa- that, that information is not going off. It's not going off and actually like, you know, someone reading an email. It's like, it's not like that. But what it is, is they have algorithms that look at the patterns of what you're talking about. They pick out key words, trigger words that are in your conversation. And from those algorithms, then it's like, it spits back certain advertising. It's a, it's a, it's a science. It's a mind blowing science how to do it. And nobody really knows the, the Google algorithm. I think only like three people know it. And even those three people don't know the other people's person. It's, it's, it's crazy. The algorithm that behind Google. But Facebook has done their own now. So what they did was they bought up they bought up Instagram. Instagram, they're looking through the content, they're looking at what people are watching. It's another way of serving uh, content and ads ads through and they're doing extremely well off it. And then they bought uh, WhatsApp. WhatsApp was in but now all those three those three social media, those platforms are all on one platform and it's all just feeding data into Facebook. I was chatting to a mate of mine Gaz and I think it was the the podcast before last and he mentioned that he was on Facebook doing whatever and ended up buying a pair of shoes and uh, I made the point that there's no fucking way that that was accidental that that was basically he had done something um, whether it was his laptop was monitoring where his eyes were looking at the screen and he kept being drawn to fucking shoes or or something of that nature Um, and I reckon that somehow the you know the algorithm or that learned essentially that he needed a new pair of shoes bumped up enough um pictures of shoe ads and he ended up buying it and he wasn't particularly sold in that because he doesn't remember seeing anything or clicking into anything or whatever else but from what you're after saying to me there he could have just maybe mentioned 
in a text message to his mom, you know, what are you up to today, son? Oh, mom, I'm just going into town to hopefully buy myself a pair of shoes. And with that information, Facebook can then yeah. plug a Clark's footwear ad at him. Yeah. It's like the other day, I we were having a conversation uh, with two of my friends and we mentioned Body and Soul at uh, the festival. And the Body and Soul are not advertising their festival for next year anywhere yet. But straight after that conversation, I went on Instagram and my third, so the third, the third uh, picture down on Instagram is always an image. I think it's like every third, sixth, not, it, there's a certain uh, pattern to way to come up. And my first ad I came across was Body and Soul. And it was just like, now, because I work in media, I can tell the difference of a sponsored ad and a remarketing ad. There's a little symbol that comes up on the ads. And if you're, if, if I, I want to say you're, if you're in the business without sounding like a cock, but if you're, in the, <laughs> if you're in the business, you can see the difference. And because there's certain things that when you're on the internet and if you're after clicking onto another website, a banner, an advertising has been remarketing, you can actually tell if that ad is being remarketed to you there's a little symbol on the ad and sorry to cut across you but yeah. the difference between like a sponsored ad is just like a paid advertisement a, 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 a sponsored ad is when someone goes on and basically puts it on and book it onto Instagram themselves but a remarketing ad is when every digital platform in the world is connected to a network so be it the Google network so like 70% most nearly all websites are on the Google network that's how they, they get all the advertisements coming through to it so it's another form of revenue for a publisher but then you have other networks there as well and like obviously Facebook have their own network so they're using their own data they don't have to buy that that's their network and they're using it and ser- they're serving out ads and it could be a remarketing ad but you can't tell it's hard to explain without like having a visual especially when you're on a podcast um, <laughs> you know so I'm just pointing here to a big diagram of explaining it all <laughs> if you could see this diagram you'd understand everything <laughs> but um, yeah so it's a case of you can get reserved different ads and they're 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 doing it be it they're doing it subtly or uh, like I used to think I was just being paranoid but now I'm not because I've read articles on it um, and they're just clever using the data in the same way Google used the data through Gmail at the very start but to kind of go back to what you're saying about like you know age profiling and social media like I'm I'm comfortable with Sophie being on Instagram I'm comfortable with being on uh, Snapchat and I don't mind her being on WhatsApp because it's an easy way to chat to her friends but the difference is with her being 14 and f- fuck like one thing I'm after learning is like girls have it hard girls have it really hard yeah. when they're growing up girls among other girls are like they're they're hard work on each other especially little girls and like I thought, I thought we, we had it as a breeze growing up as young lads. Like, you're just out kicking the football around. Or maybe this goes back to there was no social media. And it was just out. You went out. You played you played curbs or you played football. You went to the green. You disappeared for hours and end. You came back because you knew what you could smell. Dinner was ready in the air. And you came back. Like, you know, and that was it. But now all the kids are on social media. And, like, it is a case of when she's with me or she's with her mommy that you, you go in and there was times when she was when she was younger you'd have to go in and check her phone and check her messages and you'd see girls are being um what one girl thought was okay to say what one kid thinks is okay to say to another kid is the other kid is really offended by could be crushed yeah, yeah. like you, you know it yourself when you're having a conversation as an adult like and like someone might say something and because like literally if someone doesn't put an emoji at the end of something now it's like how the fuck are you meant to know their emotions anymore yeah. and it's like you don't know if someone's being sarcastic take them the wrong way but kids don't get that yeah, and that's my problem with social media, and that's why I didn't want her on so on Facebook because she'd read things and take them up the wrong way. 
But at the same time, when she's in these message groups, you still have to, as a parent, you still have to police it. Like what I was saying at the start, you have to go in and monitor. And I mean, like every night, every other night, you have to go in and read their messages and make sure everything's okay. And I don't think that's a bad thing to have. Now, our, my daughter would know that I do that. And I look at her phone. So she, she would or wouldn't know? She would know. Okay. She's no problem with that. And so I was like, like, I'd be like, oh, or, but the difference is now I don't need to do that anymore. Because she comes to me and say, Dad, I'm not too sure about this. Or, Dad, will you have a look at this? Like, you know, is this okay? And so I've now built up a bond with her where she comes and, like, literally will talk to me about anything. And she's like that. And we're on, we're on Snapchat. We're having a laugh. But if something comes up on her phone, and I think you need to have, when your child goes on to start using social media, you have to have that very, keep it a very open conversation. And you can't be like, don't do that. Don't go on that. Because the worst thing, thing they can do is is to go off into a bedroom on their own and be on, I believe, yeah, have, on, and be on social media on their own. Have their own private yeah, little I, unfettered I, um, yeah, Facebook thing, account or can't, whatever. You can't do that. So I think when social media comes up in, in young children and it's a case that they start asking the questions, I think you should go on, you should show them how to use it, be like, give a little, you know, but don't maybe hold back on certain things because you don't agree with it. And you got to, as I said, it comes down to you got to police it at home. You got to keep an eye on it. But there's no way, there's no point to us all sitting here, or all of us. Uh, there's no point of <laughs> us sitting here and saying, like, let's have, uh, let's police or let's up the ages because that won't work. It needs to be done at home. You said that you're okay with her being on, let's say, Snapchat and Instagram. Yeah. Is that because you've, because you're, you're kind of, you're fluent in these things. Like I, I, like, I know what an Instagram is, but I actually couldn't tell you, I couldn't explain to someone what Snapchat is. It's not on my radar at all. Like, um, and I think there's, as a, with every year that passes, there's fewer and fewer parents that don't know what social media is. But there's plenty of parents out there now that have kids coming up. Because you're young, so you're in your early 30s, early-ish 30s. And your daughter's, what, 14? 14. So most parents of 14 year olds i would imagine would be that bit older than say yeah. you now so if you're that bit older than you now you don't fucking know what snapchat or facebook or no. any of these fucking things is yeah so you say that you're okay with her being on on snapchat and instagram but is that because you've tweaked the settings is there something like that that you that a parent needs to do i do i think i think you you, you raise you raise a valid point there fran but i think it's a case of because i'm a young parent and because like I would be, and I think some, I won't say I could say myself, but some of my friends might refer to me as being a, a social media whore. But uh, <laughs> you <laughs> never. <laughs> so Next I, they'll I, be calling you a hipster. <laughs> don't let the beard fool you. Um, so I, I, I would like to put the odd post up on the internet. And, you know, I put the odd, if I happen to be out something at the weekend, I like sharing that moment, you know. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. <laughs> no, but I would I would put up, and I think it's because I'm, like, let's face it, like, I love what I do. I'm very passionate about when it comes to digital and digital marketing, you know, technology, everything, everything that's around the whole internet, and I suppose engaging with the internet and putting, putting shite out there. You know, I, I really... I don't know. I don't know where it all came from, but I just enjoy it, and I really like Instagram, and I really like different things. And I like maybe it's a case of I actually genuinely look at it as being like you know a, a kind of somewhat of a diary or a blog, or a, in my own sense, and I enjoy it. So yeah, when it came to Sophie, then like looking at monkey see, monkey do, and she's like, oh dad, like I see her on your phone, and I definitely wouldn't be on it all the time now. But it's a case of when I was younger, I used to be like you know it was always in my hand, I'd be taking, I'd be excessive, but. 
I don't want ever Sophie to be like that. I don't want to ever to be excessive, but I definitely think because I'm on it so much and she's onto it, I'm kind of like, I see it as neutral ground. I think it's okay for her to use it. But if I was like, Sophie was 14 and say I was like, I suppose a lot of people that have 14 year olds might be in their 40s or 50s. Yeah, of course. You yeah. know, and they haven't grown up being used to digital advertising yeah, or digital new about social media. They kind of do it a little bit, but they don't really understand it. I could totally see them as like snap what you know snap in grab snapgram like what what are you talking about like because it's, yeah. you see you're 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 doubly ahead of everyone else because a you're you know that bit younger say a uh, bit younger com- there com- comparably oh. com- comparative <laughs> to fifty year olds uh, so you're you're that bit younger and you've been fucking you know eyeballs deep in digital media for the last ten years yeah so even if somebody was your uh, vintage they still wouldn't be expected to know what you know because they haven't been immersed in it professionally for over a decade, say. Probably, yeah. So, and you're probably the worst person to ask because I was, I was going to say, you know, is there somewhere that people can go to kind of brush up on the do's and don'ts? You, you don't need to know what that website is because you kind of... There could be something kinda, in that. You, you could write it. I mean, is there... Is, like, I'd, I'd love for someone like you because you, you're in a fairly unique position to have, let's say, been immersed in the digital world from from print say so you were working with print in cbg that transformed into digital you've remained in the digital sphere you're big into your social media anyway and you happen to have a 14 year old daughter so you're in a particularly good position to advise people your own age younger and older on the kind of do's and don'ts and little things like saying that you know snapchat and instagram they're not perfect but they're far better than let's say facebook a little bit of information like that is just complete gold dust to somebody mm. who's not in the loop, say as much as as much as you are. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I suppose you're right. Um, like, I never, I, I, yeah, I don't know what to say to that, but I think, I think you're, you're dead right that it's a case of some people, and what it all comes down to is that if you're not, if you're not educated on a certain topic, then you're not going to know. Um, and you can't be expected to know and I suppose the thing is that you've got parents out there now that are in their more mature stage not as young as strapping as ourselves is that they their kids know more about the topic than they do oh and vastly more vast more and it's a case of we all joke about like you know do they get it but then the thing about those same parents is the only thing they ever probably hear about social media is then basically all the negative stuff that they hear online I think still now when people hear about Snapchat and they hear that 10 second videos, I honestly say a lot of people in the older age will think like, Jesus, all they're going to be sending is dirty pictures on that or sending like what sort of a picture you're going to send that's 10 seconds long. I think Snapchat is one of the best things that's ever come along. It's pure funny. Now, I wouldn't be, I would put up the odd Snapchat and everything else, but I think some of the Snapchats you get through, like one of my mates in particular, I won't I won't say his name, like his thing is what he does is when, he working in the, when he's driving to work in the morning, Drive down the M50. Obviously, he does it when he pulls the car over, but he presses the Snapchat and he just videos himself singing in the morning or doing reactions. And it's just, it's funny. Obviously, don't Snapchat while you drive. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but then you've got like the likes of Instagram and you've got people sending videos wrong and it's, it's all about short bursts of interview. But the one thing, actually, the one thing I would say is, and I, I used to be, I used to be a bit of a bollocks for this myself, but people who go to events, and they stand there. And this actually brings you on to something I just saw last week. People who go to events and they stand there and they go to a concert gig and they've been waiting all year to see it. And they're out there forking out like 60 or 70 euros to see this gig. 
and they stand there watching the, the, the gig through the lens of their camera of their phone yeah. like now their phone is HD it's probably better than their own eyesight but it's the point of they're watching through that and it's like put the phone away and we all now in fairness we all made that mistake when a, a case of we all start getting 50 billion megapixels phones and fucking shite on our phones and we all lost one of ourselves there for a little while and personally for me and our group of my group of friends is that what we've come to realize is that there's always going to be some wanker in the background somewhere with a fucking with a GoPro camera HD recording it better than you're going to record it. So you may as well just let those lads record in the background and you just enjoy the gig and then you'll be able to go and watch that on YouTube and trying to make your own. But everyone's so tied up about sharing that content. And I don't really like that about social media, but that is what social media is. It's about like constantly doing that and it's, it's ca- capturing those moments. And on that very point, it's a case of, you saw last week, Dublin were putting on their Christmas lights. Yeah. And everybody was on Grafton Street. Everybody was out. And there's actually this really, um, really funny picture that came from it. And outside Brown Thomas's, you had two people on the stage. And I, I put up a post on it basically saying, I just I, I can only hope it was someone as famous as Ronan Keaton was on the stage or someone like <laughs> some someone iconic in that level. Um, but he was standing there was a, a, there was a gentleman and a woman standing on the stage couldn't see who it was and it was this crowd of people outside them on, on, on Grafton Street and they were all there and we're talking like you know 20, 30 people deep the whole width of Grafton Street facing Brown Thomas and they're facing at this stage at the front door but a photographer from the top of the building adjacent to uh, Brown Thomas took a photograph of the crowd and every single person at the single time was taking a photograph of the of the of, lights about to be turned no, on? No, not even of the lights about to turn on. Of whatever gobshite was standing on that stage. Jesus. I don't even know who that gobshite was because this fella was so far back. But the point is, and I think what he was even focusing on things, he wasn't focusing on the person on the stage either. The person who was taking the photograph was focusing on around 400 people standing squashed together taking a photograph at the same time through their phones. And it's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, this image. And it's like... That it just summed it all up, and like I was thinking to myself, I was like, did people used to go and watch the Christmas lights being turned on before social media? Did they go and watch these events happen before they could take a photograph of it? Or or was it only people with you know 50 meg digital cameras that went? Or is it a case of people just went along and just enjoyed it? Yeah, and I think it's the latter, and of course, yeah, people went along, they just enjoyed the event, what was going around, and they didn't care about the after. Everyone's more worried about now about what happens after. How many can I need to share this experience? I need to let everybody know what I was doing when I was doing it. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, if they hear this, will say like, "Bullshit, Simon," because you're exactly the same, and I am. But like the difference, what, I'm not saying it's different for me is that if what I do is and what I capture across my Instagram is I capture things I'm passionate about. So I'm passionate about like obviously moments that I have with my daughter and things I do with her and moments I do on my mountain bike when I'm out mountain biking and I'm at the top of like, you know, I could be on somewhere on the top of the Alps. I could be somewhere in Wicklow. I could be taking a day off work and I'm going mountain biking somewhere. I'm capturing the sunset and things. And that's what matters to me. And that's the trend that's on my Instagram page. Do I feel the need to put up a photograph of every fucking thing I see? No, I don't. Do I feel the need to put up photographs of things that are events that are happening because I know they're going to get likes? No, I do not. I only put up things that I feel that that I know are stuff that's like things that I genuinely like. If if no one else likes it, I honestly couldn't give effect like. But they're the things I like, and that's the difference with the content I have. The problem I have is that so many people are out there, they're actually just trying to capture the content, not what they like, 
what the other hundred people will like. It's it's not even what the other hundred people will like. It's what you think the, the other, other hundred, hundred people, people are gonna like. Yeah, and I can't. And just like that's 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 the weird bit when it comes to social media. And it's like everyone's just worrying about what everyone else is gonna be thinking, um, and what they're gonna like, and what engagement it's gonna get. And that's that's a it's a it's a it's a it's a fucking minefield. No, no, it is. And there's there's even a downside, I think, in relation to what you're doing, which might seem kind of seemingly harmless, but you don't typically take a picture of, you know, the the day, like, let's say if you're up a mountain and for whatever reason it's it's overcast, maybe it's raining, you, you never put up a shit photo. Well, that's actually no. I have you. I have you wrong there now. Do you? I would put up a shit photograph, and I'd say it's a shit day. <laughs> <laughs> but you see the point I'm getting. You, you mightn't say it, but I. I saw a great. I get what you mean. Yeah. I saw a great example of a, a lad I used to know. He put up a picture of his two twins on Facebook. I saw it on, I think, and it was on the front doorstep of his house. I don't know if he was leaving or coming back to the house, but he he had twins. They were newborns, and they were all cuddled up in their little. Um, car seat things but they, they were sitting on the ground facing the facing the camera and the two of them were bright purple in the face because they were fucking screaming crying and it was just it was it was such a beautiful picture like it was just a, a little drop of reality in a world of complete nonsense like, yeah, you yeah. Know, and now we don't t- just take one photo of our kid looking great we take 40 photos and pick the of our kid looking great and pick the fucking best one and it gives such a skewed sense of reality and you couple that with growing up with this, you know. If if you're if you're online, say, or you're on social media from a very early age, you grow up with such a skewed sense of reality, and you can see why people would wonder. Kids, let's say, would wonder why is my life so shit when everybody else's is, is you know so amazing. Like, but they don't realize that they're only getting a, a snapshot of that of that person's life. You know. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing that we've had to talk to Sophie about, uh, my daughter, um, that it's it's not real and it's like for instance she's at the age now where she has friends coming in at the week after the weekend and they're saying they're doing this and they're doing that at the weekends and i won't i won't say what but it's a case of they're coming in and what i've had to explain to sophie is that there's always one kid we all had that one person that came into school and said oh yeah i was um I was doing such and such at the weekend and he always like, and it turns out they're just complete liars yeah and what i've done now what she's learned now is that that's what the internet is the internet is sometimes it's just the biggest liar in the whole world or a betrayer of liar or putting the wrong perception out and i think that's where it's going to hit kids the hardest or people who are as you said fran is like people who are growing up in that world because they look at it and they think like they think like it's like look at girls now they have to pout in every photograph and they yep. have to like they have to do this or they have to have look certain ways and they have to have a certain image and it's like it's like almost like they feel like they have to be a certain way. Sure, if they knew that every time like Beyonce put a picture up that it has to be photoshopped and it's like there's not one natural photograph of that woman on the internet, that everything, every photograph has to go through a screening process. Or if like, you know, the Kardashian queens or whatever the fuck they're called, um, every time one of their images go up, it's all vented and it has to go through certain guidelines and brand guidelines almost because of how it looks it's like it's so surreal of what kids actually see and 
to be honest with you, we're very lucky that Sophie totally gets that. But I feel so bad for so many other girls out there that they feel like they're growing up to expectations that they might never live up to. And the only thing that can feed into is depression and into a wealth of other psychological problems that they're going to have and not being basically confident with themselves. And that, it all comes back to, again, what I said at the start, it's a case of that's when you need to police social media. Us as adults, we can, we know what's crap and we know what's good. But even at sometimes I say we even, we even struggle to see, to detach ourselves from like the reality and what's not real. Um, and I think we need to, but can you imagine what it's like for a kid seeing that and to be hit? And the problem about the internet is they're being hit with so much information all the time. And I think that's the one thing we need to watch out. And it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough growing up in that if that's the way you just see the world, if this is the only way you've ever seen it. Yeah, like you said that you know, kids are growing up and they're seeing these images and they're, they might not be able to kind of live up to the expectations, but it's not even that they might not be able to live up to it. They physically can't live no. up to it. They, they lit- literally can't look that well no. because, you know, unless they've got, you know, a team of fucking digital media experts, you know, yeah. tweaking every fucking pixel on the page. Um, and you know, taking forty photos, taking a hundred thousand photos from fifty different locations by professional photographers doing using professional lighting and Photoshop and and all the mm. rest of it. And personally, I'm I'm for less government generally, um, but the government, I suppose, has a has a place to to put warnings on cigarettes and on fatty foods and whatever else and and they have a, a role to play in society in in helping to to educate people should there be i don't know what you'd even call it uh, uh, just thinking out loud should there be a, a mental health warning on social media social media yeah just, just you're, you're touching on something there really strong and i think it's um yeah, I think I think we know now from more and more studies as we uh, we've got older, and it's like we're more aware, very much openly, and trying to bring mental mental health out into the open. And it's great to see so many Irish people come forward now that you know that have come across and talked about their problems. And I think I think it, it's we need to keep that momentum going. And I think you you could be right that it's a case of where if we can nip where understand where the core problems might generate from, and we can identify that. And I think for kids growing up, that social media is going to be it's going to be a, a point where that's it's being generated. And can you put like a warning around it? Yeah, you can. It could be just a case of just putting down simple thing that coming out with a simple message from studies. You should not let your kids be on social media for so long. We don't let Sophie be on social media or a tablet after eight o'clock. That's something we stick to. I'm a big believer of that because not even about social media, but just even like looking at a tablet it's not good for her eyes it's not good for her brain the brain should be starting to wind down from eight o'clock getting ready to go to bed if she's on that thing up to nine o'clock your brain's going to be wired i know i wouldn't i know any time that i have to work late and i bring the laptop home and i try to do it you never get a good night's sleep you know those nights where you're pushing late and you're looking at the laptop screen you're working away so i think it's just a case of even just a national message going out there basically saying more than two hours a day two hours that even sounds excessive like yeah, it's, you know what I mean. Like, what is what's an okay the time to spend on social media? We've well, got we, so we've got so used to now that saying it's, it's two ubiquitous, hour, like. saying saying two hours a day. But when you think about it, I don't know anything else besides work that I don't do consistently for two hour like two hours a day. And like when you talk about social media, people are on and off it all day long. No, no, they really are. Like you touched on it earlier, it's literally the very first thing that they kind of gravitated. That your eyes open, and before you've cleared the fucking sleep from your eyes. 
you're on your phone to maybe just uh, fairly innocuously check to see what time it is. Yeah. But right there beside the time is your fucking yeah. Facebook and your Instagram and, and everything else. But it's it's the simple thing what everyone does now and it's the way the phone is designed. Like I've I've got a, a Samsung um, and the way I go on, I wake up in the morning and I get my thumb and I just scroll down the bar at the top and the bar at the top then it pulls in all my notifications and I know at a glance then if I have notifications on whatever platform it is. I know my Gmail is what emails have come in, if some work has come in during the night and it's all at a flick of the thumb and from that then I can literally just swipe left to get it off the list or click into it and I have everything there and everything that's after happening on my phone the last 12 hours is is in that spot and Samsung have not it's no coincidence that it, the phones are built like that it brings all your notifications together and that's what you do now you just turn to your phone to see what's happened like what could have honestly happened in the space of going to sleep and the time you wake up that's like that urgent that you need to check it straight away yeah it's it's mad isn't it's it weird we all, we all kind of live as though you know we're the president of the world yeah do you, do you know that kind of way like, well i'm awake now i'm awake <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's mad though isn't it like how yeah. how fucking important do we think we are wow. that we have to you know We've make sure s- that we're on top of fucking everything all the fucking time yeah we've got serious fucking notions going on and i think it's a case of on that very point it's a case like waking up and I know I do it and I'm not saying I, I 100% do this as a case of wake up and I look at my phone and before, before I take my put my foot down on the floor I look at my phone see notifications and then I was like right now it's time to get up and get going yeah yeah and it's like my first step in the day yeah it's my god that's fucking sad like, isn't it though it, yeah, it, it is exactly it, it is yeah. and like you might piss and moan about how you know you have to work, you know, five or six days a week. And most, most people would, like, fuck's sake, have to go to work. Even if you love your job, there's, there's no, always an still like, of, yeah, there's you know, like, you still want to go out and live your life. Yeah, of course. Just, I just think it's a nice thing that I enjoy my job where it's a case of it's not, it's not so much a chore, like, that's all. But it, it, it's, it's mad, though, because you're in a, a tiny minority of people, I imagine, that kind of love your job as much as you do. But the amount of people out there, myself included, not for the last couple of years since I started working for myself, but previous to that, I would have hated my job and jobs for fucking years despise them but i'm still checking my work email before i get out of bed as though like it's 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 a weird it's a weird kind of um kind of conflict of interest i hate it but yet i'm you know checking my work emails before i get out of bed in the morning yeah but you, you might if you ever have a job and you like hate it but i think it's like you still want to know what you're doing is that you're doing it right and you're doing it good so whatever you might be doing that you will always check your emails just to see what messages came in but I think it's more of a case of checking the tasks to see what tasks are ahead of you I think I think no matter if be it you love your job or hate your job it's, it's still just drawn to like you check your phone in the morning and you have something to check it might always be a work email but it'll be something on social media or it could be anything but you're just you're just drawn to check to see what's going on what conversations are after happening is someone and especially on a like a Sunday morning if you're not on Snapchat, going onto Snapchat on a Sunday morning and going in and seeing what messages and pictures your friends have put up because they put up uh, photographs and you can either send something directly to a friend or you can send it. If you send directly to a friend, then it's gone, but they can only see it for 10 seconds and then it's gone and the video is gone. They can't replay it. But if they send it to the story, then it's on the storyline for 24 hours. And the amount of 
content that goes up on a Sunday morning and by the time it comes so out so this is from the night this the is, night that before, was uploaded at 4 o'clock in the morning yeah there's right. mental people like bloopers all over the country and <laughs> they're they're putting stuff up and it's going up and it could be anything from the pub and next you know it's a snapshot of like curry chips and then it's like a snapshot of like fucking getting sick out of a taxi and you wake up on a Sunday morning and it's gold and you're watching all this but then as people start to wake up, you go on, they've checked their stories and you can clearly see that they're like, delete, delete, delete. Yeah. And all this content that's meant to be on your story, it's gone after 24, it's gone by, <laughs> it's gone by lunchtime. The fear has kicked in and they're like taking it down. And it's just, it's funny, like, you know what I mean? And getting up on a Sunday morning and watching that, it's like, it's not what I do every Sunday, but getting up and watching that sometimes is funny. But, and I think that's okay, like, and you're kind of doing the fun aspect, but when it's just like a go-to, like, this is what I need to do. I'm checking my phone it's it's dreary and i think to bring it into a couple of tv shows uh, or one particular tv show that sums it up so well is the i can't think of the man that, that wrote it but it's a uh, black mirror black mirror did an episode did you ever watch the black mirror season I've, series? I've seen the the for want of a better term the pig fucking one oh yeah, um, yeah yeah and i haven't really seen much else being honest you should really watch you should really watch and i can't recommend more going on to netflix and watching um watching black mirror there's one in particular in season two where it's about um a girl and the world is everyone has this app and everybody's on it and what it does is that when people get um and that's something we should have said about all this whole conversation about with social media it's basically we have a generation that thrives on instant gratification that's all the social media comes down to they want like they want reaction straight away An emotional and response. emotion emotional response straight away and that's what social media comes down to and that's what this uh, show actually taps into and it bases like you know the world and in the future age not too too not too far future not like the jetsons with flying cars like not that far forward but like just where the case of everyone's on this app and the key thing about it is that when you do something good or you're polite to someone they as they go by you they 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 sit you pop up on their phone and they rate you out of one to five and as you get more rates of one to five your social class goes up and as your social class goes up you're allowed access to more goods and you're invited to more events and you're invited to the like the important parties you're invited to all the different things and if you do something like it could be a case of like you do something slow or you're having a bad day and you're kind of like oh you know get the fuck out of the way that would be like one star and it's like Mm-mm. and then like you're not going to talk to someone that's a one star person and it basically sums up the whole world as people are going around and grading themselves through social media. Yeah, how of, many likes the person? Uh, how gets, many so. likes and at what like who is this person? What quality of a personality they have? And they literally are doing it. And the whole hour show is just solely around that about it. And when you watch it, it's like fuck me. This is what it comes down to. They also did a, a, a show where basically showed about this fucking lunatic of an an American celebrity became an American president and he like took over the world and caused World War Three. But that one was a bit far fetched as well, like, you know, so <laughs> starring fucking Donald Trump. No, no Donald doubt. Trump. The day Donald Trump got elected, Black Mirror actually put up it and I thought it was the best tweet I saw the whole day. Black Mirror put up and it was only a couple of weeks after that episode was aired. Um it was it was a while before sorry, it was a while after, sorry, that was that was episode. But Black Mirror and the day that Trump got elected, they put up um a tweet and it goes, This is not a PR stunt. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Because if you watch their shows, their shows are 
or like if reality if the world as we know it was to kind of go slightly a bit more left or a bit more to this direction this is how it could be or are we not like this already so but that one about the phones on the topic that we're talking about today it's definitely where to watch you just put an idea into me head i'd love to put you in touch with say um even paul webster he's a a, a mate of mine that i think he's episode two on the podcast he's a director and i'd love for nice linkage to, there Sorry? Nice linkage, nice linkage there. Uh, yeah. to the Off The Lead podcast, <laughs> available across all platforms and on YouTube. <laughs> uh, listened to over 1,200 times in 18 countries and counting. <laughs> nice. yeah, a plug of my own show on my own show. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to put you together with him and maybe, I don't know I don't know who else, but put a couple of these together and make that Black Mirror episode that you were talking about that kind of depicts social media um, maybe maybe a, maybe a third a third person would be like a, a children's writer yeah so between the trees you can actually make maybe a, a short story or a, a little maybe maybe a cartoonist would be the way to go um, or even just to yeah to discuss how just, is the best way to kind of translate this to kids because presumably that episode of black mirror isn't suitable for like an eight-year-old do you know no, what I mean? No, I think I think you I think your policing of parenting has gone wrong if you're showing your kids Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> there the kids are on social media pimping themselves. So but come here, um uh wasn't say no, I think hundred percent like it's it's how do we take those episodes of Black Mirror or things that have come out like Black Mirror that kinda show how fucking crazy it's all gone and they try to hype it up obviously to make it us watch it. But maybe it's a case of they need to start bringing that down a gauge and it's kind of saying, well, how can we translate this across kids? I know personally that the whole thing about uh, one of the areas that about when I was, why I'm interested in getting into cyber psychology is that one of the biggest thing is cyber bullying. And I think there's a massive opportunity there. I don't mean business opportunity, but I think there's a massive opportunity that someone could do something to help educate schools on how to speak to their pupils on cyber psychology and about cyber bullying and kind of gone away because even my daughter has told me like that people and she's quite savvy when it comes to the internet and digital like you know what she has she has me as her father so um but she yeah cheers man <laughs> so um but i mean like she was saying that people come in and she goes dad the way they talk to you about the internet you swear to we were babies like so obviously that person is not connecting with whoever's going around and there's probably some gobshite making money off the back of this, but I think there's definitely a thing there where someone could step in and actually know the future minds, kind of educate them to the powers of why everything we've spoke about, how damaging it is on their side and why they shouldn't be doing certain things. And just saying to them that, oh, you shouldn't put that on the internet because you never know when it might pop up in a job interview. It's more damaging than that. Yeah, it's, far more it's damaging. It's That's far a really more damaging. way of viewing it. Yeah, it? and it's like, oh, a bit of fear. It's more damaging than that. It's a case of it opens it up. One slip you could make could basically be shared around everywhere and putting something in a video. And I feel really sorry for girls that are like young girls and they feel like they're they feel like they have to send like you know pictures around or lads even sending pictures around to each other god knows what they're sending to each other and then they're not realizing like they're sending a picture of themselves around and they're putting trust in that person and fuck me like we all know how fickle 
when you're 18, 19, maybe some are more fickle than others, but how fickle you can be where it's case you break up with someone and you're only, you're with someone three months and, you know, oh my God, I'm going to be with this person for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? You've seen like 17 or 18 year olds say those things and yeah, they I mean sh- them. and they should say those things. They should fall in love and they should like, you know, break up at the drop of a hat and go through all those experiences. But at the background of it all now, we have fucking social media and phones and the problem is they're sharing pictures with each other and it's it's damaging to their to their lives and disgra- de- degrading to each other but they're just a thing and they feel because of the internet and because of social pressure and because they feel like it's it's the done thing it's okay to do it and that really fucking pisses me off and i feel sorry for kids in that era where it's a case of they feel like or anyone in any stage of their lives that feels like they have to do it and more and more social pressure doesn't just come from your local from your peers that you grow up with it comes from people that you don't even know and a lot of the time these days not even real people so like you know fake fake accounts and and whatever else i don't even think we're living in an era anymore of fake accounts i don't think like i think when the internet first kind of kicked off and was like when it was all facebook and social media and everything else I think people are crazy enough as, as being themselves now. That well, that's very true, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I heard, think that, like, people are fucking belubers, like, you know. Uh, there's a, an analogy there between something I heard recently about um, about AI. Someone was saying that how scary artificial intelligence or artificial general intelligence is and, and is becoming. But I heard someone make a very uh, valid point. They said that they're not as afraid of that as they are of actual stupidity. Do, yeah. do you know, like you know, hu- human level stupidity is far scarier than yeah. you know artificial intelligence. Some of the some of the shit that people are talking about these days and putting up on the internet, and you know how they're talking about their their physique or how they want to look after themselves and how they're like, you know, about their diets and the way they treat themselves or the way they you know pushing it to the limits. How like they live every day by eating like the skin of a banana and it's 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 mental and again it all comes down to because everyone's trying to be unique and everyone's trying to be unique because they feel like being just unique is you know is this is what people are going to like on the internet and it comes down to just be yourself i'm not going to say something like like one of those emo- and i also fucking hate all those emo- uh, motivational like messages that you see going up where it's a case of like you know be yourself nobody else can be you and all this like fuck off just like just be yourself be have the crack have a laugh and all that and don't take yourself too seriously because unfortunately it's like all these dickheads that you see out there and you you think that they're getting the biggest response and everything else they're the ones that are sitting at home rocking themselves to sleep at night you know crying or like you know or they're they're mis i i really genuinely think they're all fucking miserable you know yeah, I mean? no, I, I, and I think like yeah and it's a case of they're doing it and I think more and more cases now and I'm actually just t- as I say this I'm just thinking maybe more and more of those cases that you do see they are fake accounts and they're probably just models and their company saying here go on and say this build up a thing be a face of something and build it up but at the same time you have all those lunatics out there that are basically doing it and they have their 100,000 200,000 followers and it just snowballs they have people following them and then people giving them products to talk about and it's the new thing like this is how they sell the kids now my daughter watches a video blog every other day and it's called jojo's juice have you ever heard of jojo's juice from can't say i have no jojo's juice is a girl from what i can understand is it um an american girl her mom was american or something but she lives in england 
and she puts up a video and it started like a year ago and she basically used to get into the shower or the bathroom now obviously had all her clothes on and everything else and she used to get four litres of juice and she used to pour it over her head and she'd do a short little like 30 or 25 minute 30 minute video blog or as they call vlogs these days alright okay. it's called vlogs isn't it I don't know vlogs. you tell me video vlogs yeah video vlogs <laughs> fuck off so there is still a detached there from being like 34 and not fully understanding what's going on digitally. but anyway so they have these video blogs going up as you have but now this 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 thing is after growing this this girl puts up a new video every day that ranges between 30 minutes to 45 after that video goes live every day by the end of the day it has uh, double digits in the millions sorry she pours not anymore she doesn't do that anymore she okay. just so it's developed on now and she basically just does a video and she just talks about her life she talks about either what she's going off to do that day sometimes she might do it in the morning before she goes to school sometimes just complete mundane yeah she's kind of gone and in fairness to her she usually has a bit of content or she's just rambling on but sophie comes home from school and she goes upstairs and she watches her 30 minute video and she watches it and this girl jojo juice um jojo she gets up and she has the chats and sometimes her ma's in it but I mean, like, every day those videos go into, like, 8 or 10 million views from people all over the world, or from kids all over the world. And now when Sophie's watching them, what happens is Jojo Juice will basically pull out and she's like, and this is the eyeliner I'm using today. Of course she does. And it was, yeah, it's looking like a little weapon, weapon, like. And then there's, there's Grace Jones, there's another one. She came out and she made a song. And literally, it's just like the brands are now going to the kids or going to people that do these videos on social media or they have the big accounts and they're getting them to do the product placement. And that's how the kids are buying into it. Jesus, like my daughter, like in fairness now, Sophie has watched these and she watches the makeup tutorials and everything else. And I think watching stuff like that on YouTube is great. And she's a pro. She's better than her mom at doing her own makeup now. And when Sophie used to come out and the makeup would be plastered on her, but now she comes out and it's like, it's all less is more and, you know, everything else. And she's she's picked that up. But at the same time, she's asked me for a fucking Mac. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, she's asking me for the top quality stuff. So she's watching these videos, but she's also been hit with the product placement. And it's like, and and that's, and she doesn't see any difference to that. She's not asking for the achievement. And it's, it's, it's funny how they're engaging now. So brands and everything else are looking at that and they're looking how kids are engaging with the internet. And more and more brands are going to focus on that. So it won't be direct advertising. It'll be tapping into all those personalities that are on the internet. And it's happening more and more. This is nothing new. I'm not talking about anything that is like life changing here, but this is already happening. And it's a case of on social media and the case of social, like the way we all look at these idiots that run around on social media or we watch them for advice or whatever it might be. And I think this is very much something that we wouldn't have bought into now at our age, but definitely the millenniums and even like whatever is before the millennium, what after millenniums, the younger ones again, um, they are definitely being sold to and being branded to and being uh, uh, targeted in a completely different way. And they're being targeted by people that they trust in the personalities that they follow on the internet. And that's how they're coming across different products. And that's why they feel like they need to have it to be socially accepted. Oh, absolutely. And like, it, it's mad. Um, subliminal advertising was banned whenever it came about. Like, you know, this idea of flashing a can of Coke in the middle of a film when you didn't, you wouldn't have noticed you've seen it, but your brain notices you've seen it. Like that was banned because it was deemed as too kind of, you know, creepy or insidious or, or, or something. And I think it's hilarious because in, in Ireland, I think there's a law that states if you are a social media person, say, and you're dropping in ads, you actually have to say 
that it's an ad. Now that's a, that's an effort in the right direction to say to tell people, listen, I'm promoting Mac or whatever it is, and and this is this is an ad, but you know it's brilliant and I use it every day and whatever else. But there's an analogy there between that and the placebo effect of a of a drug or a sugar pill, say. You give someone a sugar pill and tell and tell them it's a placebo, it'll still work. You advertise some something to someone and tell them it's an ad, it still works. Telling people telling people it's an ad just it almost gets them to listen more closely. <laughs> Do you know kind of way it nearly yeah. has the, the opposite effect like. And there's an element of subliminal um advertising when you're essentially prostituting children to sell to children. Do you, do you know that kind of way? Like it's, yeah, so it's so I, fucking creepy. So I would disagree slightly with what you say about like if you say it's an ad, people engage more. I actually think it's the complete opposite. And the best form of advertising now is native advertising. So it's basically hitting people in whatever they're doing. And that's my point about watching as people watch videos and watch blogs and look at personalities. They don't realize they're being sold to, but they are being sold to. And yeah. that's the key thing. So it could be a case of, hi, I'm drinking a Starbucks here and you should drink Starbucks. It's not as like that. It's just he's sitting there and he's talking and he has the Starbucks on or for the girl that's 14, 15 and she's looking at Jojo juice. She just like, oh, I'm using this makeup, by the way, because I think it's how I get my it's I know it's how I get my eyelashes looking great every day. And it's as subtle as that. Yeah, of course. And it's, yeah. I think now with digital media and it's bringing right back to what we we're talking about earlier on about Dundee and everything else. What we've done is we've actually stripped a lot of our display ads off the website because we don't need to focus so much on the obvious money that you can bring in from a company. We're building up our solution. And if you build up your solution and your service, then everything else will come behind it. But in the same way with digital advertising is that it's like there's a term now that's used knocked around it's called banner blindness if you have a website or if you have a page on the internet that you're looking at and there's like you're hit getting hit with multiple marketing messages you actually don't see any of those marketing messages no matter how because they might all be targeted but because they're so fucking many of them you don't take any of them in yeah it's like the first three results there on a google page i wouldn't look at them you just you, you skip to like three or four down because yeah, you know the first three are ads yeah basically. you know the first three are ads or if you really understand you will click on it because that suckers after paying a euro to get that click that he would have got anyway so there's a bit of that going on but i think it's a case of the less the less it looks like advertising now and the more it's actually what feeding into what the person wants the more engagement and the more response they'll actually get and that's a really hard thing to do it's a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to get to be solely get people on and looking at it. And that's the key of our business. And I won't give I definitely won't give the secrets away, but it's understanding what you what the consumer wants and putting it in front of them. And that's what brands are doing. Brands and consumers are going to personalities. And that's like in Ireland, a big trend at the moment is basically, and I think it's I think this is really good. Um, a lot of the local dealerships are basically now supporting their local GEA teams, their local local school football teams, their the ladies' rugby, uh, the women's rugby, um, be it a club or national level, whatever it might be. You've like, look at a little, like little, it was a little Duraldi, I always get too mixed up, um, are supporting uh, women's uh, Irish rugby. And I think it's a case of the reason why they're doing that is that's they're tapping into passion. And it, oh yeah, it's, it's and the emotional it's, response. It's, yeah, it's emotional response again. So it all comes back to the same thing again. And they're just tapping into it because they're supporting the local GEA star. They're getting behind them. And I'm like, you know what? They're good. You know, they, like, they're getting behind that. They're supporting them every week. They're seeing them at the matches. They're seeing them on the jerseys. And then they buy into that. It's the exact same thing with the internet. Yeah. So it's a case of you don't, you don't want to be basically like shouting about your brand. You don't want to be like 
pushing your brand onto someone but if you can find a way where someone's going on and they're going on the internet because they're going to sit down watch something and engage with something and you can get your brand in front of them at the right time that's the key to marketing that's the key to digital marketing no absolutely i, I yeah. see it I, I don't watch a whole pilot telly if i can avoid it um so telly actually just kind of i actually read something really interesting so there's new laws coming in that you can't advertise to children on telly anymore so you, it's it the, the way television ads this was banned i believe it was banned in america first and i think they're going to be banning it in europe soon there's new regulations coming in but it hasn't been banned yet so like looks at look at the likes of uh, ikea ikea advertised to children every day of the week and they're like they basically go in and they have like you know all the the characters come to get to come alive and they're like you know the monsters or the robots you know that one where they're all sitting around and then it comes down to this normal people and the reason they do that is because the kid will turn around the kid is the kid in a family is a high influencer when it comes to the purchasing decision and what they do is that they from research it's like if you get the kid reacting to like oh I'll go to that because then what the family is like oh will we go to kid yay we yeah. have to go to and the kid wants to go and it's an enjoyable easy like, and as you know as being a parent yourself it's a case of sometimes you just want to have that break where you can go something it's not going to be any hassle it's not it's not a chore and that's what advertising to kids do it's like even any of the car ads it's like there's so many different ads like obviously the obvious ones is 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 toys but even if you look at it like uh, a children's uh, tv sh- channel like nickelodeon or whatever the amount of advertising that is on that channel is like second to no other channel in the world relentless it matches, yeah it's relentless Rel- non-stop my, my young lad is, is three and a half and you know he, he watches a bit of telly and that and i've started this new thing i don't know if it's fucking advisable to be honest i wouldn't recommend it but it's, it's what i've been doing he'll say an ad will come on the, the tv and he'll say daddy you know i want that and I'd say, yeah, no worries, I'll buy you 40 of them. He'll go, okay. And that's that's my response to any time he asks for something to tell, yeah, no worries, how many do you want? Do you want 30 of them, 40 of them, 50 of them? Yeah, I'll get you 50 of them, no worries. And he kind of forgets about it. And the idea being that it kind of puts it out of his head and that he never really knows it or never really thinks that it's real because I'm not really going to buy 40 or 50 of them. And if it comes back to bite me in future, I can say to him, well, listen, I was never going to buy you 40 of them. Or, I, I don't know, I genuinely don't know if, if I'm doing the right thing by doing that, but it's, it's, it's what I'm doing. But I know what you mean about selling to... And it's not even selling to people... It's selling, it's selling what people want themselves to be. So there's, there's an ad at the minute, I think it's for a Cougar, the, the brand of car Cougar. Yeah. Is it a Ford Cougar? You'd obviously Ford know. Ford Cougar, yep. And uh, it starts off, a woman opens her eyes in bed and she sees the alarm and it's like four o'clock in the morning or something. And she she looks out the window, I think, and she sees her Cougar and she kind of gets that bit of inspiration and she gets up and she goes and does her box fit class or something. And, you know, she's in her tight fucking outfit or whatever it is and she's all sexy and independent and all that bollocks and then she gets back in uh, and before the kids are up and the ad isn't selling the car the ad selling is selling lifestyle. the lifestyle of oh yeah. if i had a cougar maybe i'd be really toned and up at four o'clock in the morning doing my box fit or pilates or whatever the fuck it is like so they're they're not even selling to you. They're selling to your ideal you. Yeah, and that's that's a hundred percent it. And even when you look at it, basically, so obviously across channel marketing now, it's when you have so 
every good strong campaign will start off with a digital plan then it'll go above the line with tv and outdoor advertising and then it'll bring it back down to digital and each one of those assets that are used across the the marketing journey will all be based on lifestyle images now and lifestyle images are are so important and it's this is why instagram has become so uh so big in its own right because people people enjoy experiences now and this is something where it's a case of we all work hard we all pay our taxes we all get up and be it that we're like you know stay-at-home parents or we get up and do a job or we work night shifts or day shifts we all want to think that there's more to it we all want to think that there's something out there that there's experiences to have and there's more to life and there is please god and i don't mean to say that in a dreary kind of way but there is but what the brands are doing is and especially the car brands is, is like you can have this car you can afford to have this car and you'll have this lifestyle and what i can tell you is that it coming down to working in the trade and working with the motor brands for years and years and end now like five years and back and things i've i've come to learn that there's two things to sell a car just two simple words desirability and affordability that's it if you understand how to market desirability and affordability of anything especially with a car brand you can sell it. And what and, what does that translate to? So it's, uh, what you want and how much you're so able. Desirability, to spend. desirability comes down to a number of things. It comes down to lifestyle. It comes down to like, um, for a, for for a woman, it comes down to like you know exactly what you said. How it fits into life. They want to look stylish, and that's all perfectly fine. When it comes down to a lad, it's like oh, I'm thinking about this car. They're down the pub at the weekend, and they show five of their mates. What do you think of that? Look at the alloys on that. It's a, you know it's a desirability factor. Yeah. But then affordability, like it's a big thing because we're not also like we might all have an extra few bob in our bob in our back pockets now but we still have it still has to make sense so affordability does come down to so the way you buy cars now is that cars have completely changed you buy a purchase the days of like thinking like oh sure like you know i'm not going to own that car that's all gone now and there's new financial plans that you can get like pcp and pcp is basically stands for a personal contract plan you see them advertised ever but it allows to basically because of the way the finance offer is, is is ran by the banks it allows now the car brands to sell cars not that the car is going to cost you thirty thousand, but actually the car is only going to cost you 250 euros a month for for basically you know 36 months that's it now without getting into the whole t's and c's of what it is but that's the affordability so yeah. by the brands working with the banks and with the finance companies they've made it more affordable to buy cars everyone still gets paid the brand still get paid the bank still gets paid you get to have a car there's obviously some t's and c's that come with it and you get to have the lifestyle so look at the way the boom in the market when it came to the car brands now is new suv range everybody wants an suv it's like it's not quite a mommy's jeep it's not a soccer mom's jeep but at the same time you know the husband can still drive it but the husband's happy or the man is happy driving it and his girlfriend is like it likes being in it and it's kind of like it's kind of like a little upper class but it's not too much upper class it's this perfect model that's in between everything and it just lets you and it's 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 a massive trend and it's like something that i've only seen on in the five years or seven years i'm working like working with cars or even just as a group i've never seen anything like the suv craze kick off in the way it has or a sorry recently or yeah recently like, like what's recently like in the last year or the last 10 the or? last three years last three or four years the suv model range in the marketplace has kicked off to this day to this day like where volkswagen have actually brought out three suvs this year um uh hyundai are after bringing out they have three new suvs they have like everybody's coming out and it's this perfect little like where you're getting a big chunky car you're getting something really like you know 
this is big this isn't getting this and it has all the bells and whistles it has all the connectivity you get into it syncs with your phone it has bluetooth fuck it some of them park themselves and all that but the difference is it has all that desirability factor but at the same time it's only costing you the same as like a couple of hundred euros a month yeah. so they've made cars affordable to buy so when you actually look at what you get with a car now compared to what you used to get obviously technology has come along obviously the cost of building a car have come down slightly and uh, there's so many different factors to take in but it's a case of and what it all comes down to is desirability and affordability and that's why car purchases and thankfully now car purchases are back up the market is doing well and um, there is some challenges out there at the moment but it's a it's a really strong industry and it drives a lot of jobs so it's great to see that it's it's doing so well in the country you know? i, I want to pick your brain on electric cars before i do i just want to mention one thing more about advertising especially on, on tv advertising i'm just interested to hear your take on this because it's something that really kind of pisses me off the ad comes up and like we're we're approaching we're approaching christmas say so i'll stick with a christmas theme one the ad starts off the kids eyes wake up or the kids eyes open up and maybe the maybe there's two beds in the one room they kind of look to each other and there's, there's this <gasps> moment and the two of them jump out of bed and go skidding down the hall and you know it's, it's obviously christmas morning and um they run into the parents and they start jumping you know santi's santi's been here santi's been here and everyone that, that has kids or has ever been a kid is just there kind of smiling to themselves going ah oh, yeah that's what fucking life is all yeah. about fucking class and they run down to the uh the sitting room and there's this pristine tree and all the you know professionally gift wrapped boxes and the lighting is perfect and you know the kids get absolutely everything they want you know the, the mom and dad kind of glance over at each other and kind of smile and tesco and you're like, you could have put fucking anything there, you know, Vodafone, Guinness, fucking you name it, you could have thrown anything in there. And is there an element of the ad agencies coming up with almost, like, have we gone so far down this emotional response advertising model that the ad companies are getting so good at what they, could, at what they do that they can literally create something and then just practically sell it to fucking anyone? Because that, that ad that I just kind of outlined there does work for Like, you could slap Volkswagen on the end of that, and it's still a good ad. It's all yeah. the better, nearly, if it's Volkswagen, if it's something, you know, a bit off the wall. What's your... Again, before we go back to cars, and I want to talk in particular about electric cars, so, on that. So I think it's a case of... I think... So within our business, we get to work with a lot of... With all, with all the agencies, and we get to work with a lot of cool creative agencies, and I know a lot of people that work in creative agencies... And there's a lot of shit hot talent out there. Um, I think what you're talking about is even this is more on a global level, like or even European level. It's a case of so what type of ads appeal to the audience? And I think yeah, there's always that warm fuzzy feeling. And I think the most obvious one to do is the one that Judas explained. Yeah, and yeah. I think it's the it's the most simple approach. Is it the one that will stand out the most? No, it won't. It won't. And yeah, is there is there a case of like if a brand comes to you and say, let's do an ad, can we get that right? Can everyone get it 100% right? I wouldn't say so. But can most people get close to that warm, fuzzy feeling? Yeah, they sure, they, they, they can. But then you have the companies that bring it to the next level where it's a case of this really weird trend of like, everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to such and such brings out their Christmas ad just to see yeah. what it's like. And there's, yeah. so there's such, and like, imagine the pressure that's on those advertising agencies. Like we have an ad and this is like, when our ad comes out, it's like, it's a sign for like Christmas has started and they have that pressure. 
and they've now brought it on so far themselves that it's a case of people relate what they do as being a, a sign of Christmas time. Um, and for for life, me you now, the, the, a couple of the brands that would be known for that, they're, they've gone clean out my head. Um, but to be big department stores or whatever they would, and it's a big part of tradition, nearly as in like, oh, I can't wait to see such and such as ad come but up. Is, is it Arnott's that do the it's, display in the window? I think so. I don't know if they the moving crib and things. Like, I remember that as a kid. That yeah. was a thing. We went to Dublin to see that. Nearly. Yeah, and that was like, yeah, that was a thing. Or Brown Thomas's window was a big thing that. You're up there and you looked at Brown Thomas. But Santa is still a massive thing in Ireland. So I know a friend of mine's daughter or a friend of mine's sister is, um, she'd be in her late teens and she still goes to Arnott's. I think he still goes with them as well. And they all meet up every Christmas and the Christmas Eve and they go to Arnott's. But they were telling me I was up in their house there. It's a, a, fr- it's a really close f- a friend of my family. And I was up in their, their house last year and I was asking them like, oh, they're like, oh yeah, we still went to see Santa this year in Arnott's. And I'm like, but like, like Aoife's like you know 17 and 18 and she's like oh yeah it's grand but it's family tradition that's what we do and they were explaining to me like the amount of other families that would be there and all past the age of like you know be whatever about Santa and everything else but like they're all there and this was the family tradition they were going in and they're going and see that and I think now Christmas is such an obvious one that when it comes to advertising that it's a case of it's very easy because whatever about all the shite that goes on through the year it's like Christmas means well what it should mean to people is it should mean family whatever about the rest of the bollocks about religion and all that shit but but what it should mean is about family and about being people being close together and i think it's a really easy win for advertisers to tap into that <clears throat> but to bring it back social media has managed to tap into it all year round so tv are tapping into the emotional feeling at certain times and certain events and it's like olympics like when you talk about the olympics i like a lot of people wouldn't know this because obviously i I studied advertising when i was in college and it's like one of the best stories ever heard about a brand tapping into the emotional um emotional response was dove um, I was actually wasn't dub. The, sorry, the, the soap crowd. The soap crowd, yeah, the soap crowd fan. But it actually was sorry, it wasn't dub. It was P and G. So P and G basically owned this whole web of like you know products that you see in boots and you see across other like stores for cleaning cosmetics, all that type of shit. And what they did was when they sponsored the Olympics in London, they basically focused in on their campaign was about mothers and caring for the mother. So they could have done the obvious one where they just basically plaster P&G and their brands all over the Olympics and everything else. But what P&G actually did was they went and all the mothers of the the athletes... All the bastards. All the mothers, right, of the athletes, they flew every one of the mothers to the Olympics and they looked after them. They gave them all care packs. They made sure they were covered every day. They made sure, like, for anything they needed. Yeah. They looked after the mothers. Because if it wasn't for the mothers, none of those athletes would have been there. And their whole campaign leading up to the Olympics was about, like, when it went live. So this whole thing about what the mothers were to do in the background was going on for ages. So they're building up content. They're building up, like, you know, social media sharing. They're building all this. They're getting all the content going in the background. And then they launched it. And their whole Olympics campaign was about mothers. Can you ever, like, your mother was the one that drove... You might remember the ads, like, your mother was the one that drove you to your, like, at six o'clock in the morning to your swimming lessons. It was your mother that picked you up when you fell over from doing gymnastics. It was your mother who didn't buy that dress. She bought those new dance shoes. Yeah, it was your mother that did this. And they really tapped into it. Like, for fuck's sake. And you'd be a horrible pig to say anything different. But 
it was they tapped into that. So instead of tapping into the athletes, they went one step back. Something that we can. I was like, "Fucking love you, ma'am." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And they tapped into that warm, fuzzy feeling, into that emotions inside you. And we're like, you're like, you're almost you're watching the day of the Olympics, and you're like. <laughs> and you're getting that lump in your throat. They fucking uh, reached in through your eyes yeah, and raped your brain. Yeah, That's yeah, what they, they did. Like. Fucked your heart. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Never mind about pulling on the heartstrings. They fucking tugged on that hard. Like, and they focused on that and they brought out a campaign. And it had a massive, massive like you're such a big P and G, one of the biggest companies when it comes to uh, when it comes to kind of disposable kind of yeah, products. Yeah, when it comes stuff, to yeah. FMCG goods. Yeah, and it's a case of um, their 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 market share grew, and that was a key thing of doing that. And that that comes from a lot of planning. That's a that's a that's a big big kind of market move. But I suppose if you're gonna get in the money where you advertise in the Olympics. And like when you when you are the main sponsor of the Olympics, no brand can advertise in that area of the world for what is it like? I think it's like three months before and three months after the Olympics. No way. You have the rights to advertise and the, the biggest televised they're, thing. They're the ever. biggest thing. None yeah. of their competitors can go against them. Like the Olympics, whatever country the Olympics go into, they have the rights of all the advertising. It's a, I don't know, it's like a fucking it's like the bleeding uh, cartel or something like when it comes to maybe not the cartel but anyway, no I don't think that's, I don't do think that's mean? too unfair to yeah honest. it's just like they take over it's a massive money generate. so to bring it back into like I suppose then Christmas time and that's what it is it's just a it's an easy time to target an audience to get that warm fuzzy feeling and the key thing about advertising is it all comes down to targeting and using it and before the internet a quick way to get the fuzzy feeling going was uh, the thing with uh, targeting people with a family feeling my still my favorite ad on TV at Christmas time is Coca Cola trucks, it, like it's synonymous with Christmas yeah. and the, the Kellogg's one as well. I think, yeah. isn't there a Kellogg's? It's, it's not maybe as it's good, like you know, yeah. it's like Santa. And but he, this, you know, what I'm talking about. Well, I you do, know, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, and Kellogg's have got away with for years of using the same one, or then like maybe something that's not even advertising is the snowman, or am I? Did that was on post, was it? Was this? Yeah, I was just about to say, dude. <laughs> well like shit I was just thinking like did the snowman come out on the back of an ad or did the snowman just come out because it was a short musical uh, oh fuck I don't know I I think that's a is it that is that like a fuck, classic when I is remember, that, I, remember I think I think it was a classic like, but, like when you think about it now if that was an ad and we're still talking about it but I think like but Jesus, when the snowman came back out on our day Fran like that was like the way some kids might look at like you know the the new the latest uh, Pixar film yeah. that's the way we saw that thing yeah. but that voice is like <laughs> I won't sing again I'm sorry <laughs> that was me attempting to sing there and failed miserably um, but yeah just those moments like that that kind of clinch in like you know so. no no absolutely and getting before we uh, go down another uh, unrelated rabbit hole cars and electric cars you're in a kind of unique position to see where the kind of consumer automobile industry in Ireland and maybe further afield is kind of shifting. Is it is is elect are electric cars the equivalent of digital media in comparison to print? Is that what we're looking at? Like, is 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 in ten years' time will there be any fuck or twenty years' time will you still be able to buy a diesel or a petrol car or what way is it going? I don't know. Um, I think the analogy of like looking at I suppose electric cars are, is it the way things I think the way you need to look at electric cars is that it's an industry evolving and 
with everything that will be changed i think the only difference is that this change will come around faster than maybe some people would like some brands are getting on board a lot quicker they have their hybrid models out and they have their electric cars out they're fully electric cars and the technology that's in electric cars is getting better so the two things that tech electric cars come up against is that the time it takes to charge them yep and how far they can run on a charge course you know so they have the speed down speed when it first came out they were really slow yeah braking safety all that's just yeah that's that's all sorted now so what they're trying to get down now is charging time so i'll give you an interesting fact about electric cars electric cars are better i'm just going to throw a couple of facts out here it's like i hope any car brand that hears me talk about this is like it's just me a couple of interesting things i've come across electric cars are great and in the short, we have a problem with the climate and with basically pollution, and we need to we need to address that. And a really quick solution there is obviously get a higher density of electric cars in the car, which will basically reduce the amount of carbon that are coming out of pe- uh, petrol and diesel cars being run on the road. And I think hands up to the government, the best thing that came out of the budget this year, besides us all getting a fiver back in our pocket, was um, basically they, re- they reduced, uh, they made it zero BIK on electric cars. So what that basically means is that if you're a company and you decide that your company, can, your staff can have electric cars, they can have it and they don't have to pay any BIK. BIK. So the cheapest BIK you can have benefit in kind payment that you have to so if you have a company car you don't pay insurance you don't pay tax but you have to pay a certain amount of money it's like an, a, a tax stamp tax or whatever it's it's generally is it 10 or 20 cent per kilometer or um, yeah or it's sometimes it's done anything but if you're not doing enough kilometers then there's just a flat rate there's a, a rating so i don't know the full calculations on it yeah but let's say for instance that a normal joe soap who gets a volkswagen golf would probably pay like maybe 320 euros a month on BIK, which works out a hell of a lot cheaper when you don't have to pay for the car, you don't have to pay for the insurance, you're not paying fuel, it's all been paid for your company. Yeah, so, so this is an employer-supplied car, Yeah, this is an employer-supplied car. So now what the government have done is, and this is going to be a big boost, I think, in 2018 for electric cars, is that they're after saying that electric cars, if your employer, if your employee has a car, they don't have to pay anything. So straight away, if your employee wants to have a company car, and is happy to take on an electric car, they're all about up to 320 euros a month. That's a lot of money. That's Fucking right it is. Yeah, that's nearly six, like it does on a very, very base model. And there's some people who have like uh, company cars, I know for a fact, and they'd have executive cars and it's costing like maybe five or 600 euros a month on BIK. But because they do the mileage and because they don't have to pay for the servicing and they don't have to pay for the maintenance of the car, it still works out a hell of a lot cheaper than actually owning the car. So yeah. you, you take it. So this this for instance if you're a company and you have a car maybe it wouldn't be suited for people that are out doing like you know field jobs and are out driving all the time but if it's a case of you're just driving to and from work or you're just driving like wherever it is to get to work and you're using your car normal time this is going to be massive and what you're going to see is next year you will see a trend of and the french the main franchise manufacturers or oems that are in ireland they need to focus on this and they they will be going now to companies they're seeing who has the largest fleet and they will be seeing how many of these cars they can have and i believe what the government should be doing if they're not doing already is that they should be targeting manufacturers on to get so many cars out and if they get so many electric cars out they should be getting tax breaks and then you know, it creates this loop where basically they're getting more and more electric cars. Yeah, it's a positive feedback loop. As positive well. feedback loop. The bombshell. <laughs> drum roll, please. The drum roll, please. Having an electric car now and driving an electric car now is better for the environment. Okay. But 
the electric car will naturally come to an end because it's a battery driven car and after a while the cells it won't work and then the car and it and like every normal auto vehicle automobile automobile the car will come to its actual end of life and then the car will have to go into wastage well sorry to cut across you but i mean presumably you'd have like the the smartphone setup that the battery basically clips out of the car you put in a new battery oh no, i'm not talking about that bit i'm just talking about the car coming to end of life be it it's crashed be it like the electric cars are still open to being crashes of course yeah. they're open to like you know wear and tear they're open to some cars will last longer than others yeah and everything else so at the moment when a car comes to its end of life be it that it's a shorter life or it's lived on and it's like you know it's still going around 10 20 times or whatever else it's 10 times worse to get rid of an electric car than it is um a normal car presumably because of the battery yeah. And what, what is, is it lithium re- that these are it's just really bad for the environment and it's like what nobody has talked about how these cars are going to be disposed of the current generation no. of cars any electric car that comes out any electric car that comes out when they come to end of life it's basically it's like we need to we need to be already looking at how can we get how can these batteries be disposed of because be it we ship them all off this extra weight of like the what they'll need to use to create the batteries and create electric cars is going to have a negative effect and then you have to look at well are we better off just driving diesel now and working on getting those diesels engines down onto lower uh lower emissions pollution rates or whatever, or whatever yeah. else electric cars or it's a case that we all jump in and drive electric cars and the problem is solved for 10 20 years but in 10 12 20 years we're going to have a massive problem with all this uh, all this basic cars so i don't fully you know i was basically at an, uh, an event recently and we were talking it was a topic and we we're talking about electric cars now i think electric cars are great and what i'm hoping is that in the space that we bring out the electric cars and because technology is going so fast that we won't have to worry about that problem but there's always a there's always a negative side to everything and what's elon musk's answer like he his big interest at the minute as far as i'm aware not that i'm very close to it by any stretch of the imagination but um electric cars with tesla and automation which is another thing that i want to touch on um but a big one of his as well on top of spacex and half a dozen things that he's involved in is household batteries mm-hmm. so the idea being that you have a battery the size of your hot water cylinder or something like some sort of monolith thing in the center of your house so that for example every roof tile in your house is now a solar panel and it charges a huge big battery and that basically runs your house so each each his aim i think is to have each independent or each standalone house in america say essentially off the grid so if, if he's working on something like that, presumably, A, the battery can be, you know, either upgraded yeah, or... But, yeah, and it, maybe it is, and that's the bit. Maybe so. It's a case of maybe I'm just... Um, maybe I'm not, as I said before, you need to be educated to different points. But it's a case of, as the current stands, like, it's... it's You don't hear anyone how the, the batteries are going to be handled with. And maybe it is better off, but I think if there is initiatives like that where, you know, we can run the houses where we don't have them on the natural grid and they can basically be self, self-contained, self pretty much, is what you're saying. Like That's what he's striving yeah, for, yeah. so every house is self-contained and you're off the charts. Then that's brilliant, but... Um, but again, as I said, as we're evolving and as technology is getting smarter and it's getting more advanced then maybe batteries won't have the same problems that they have in the current state. Yeah, no, it's mad because only recently I was in my local kind of hardware store, a higher place actually, I was, I was in getting some sort of a tool, but I couldn't help but notice that they had a range of battery-operated tools that I, I wasn't really familiar with. Like I, I knew that, you know, cordless drills have been around forever, 
but like this uh, this place was selling electric chainsaws battery operated electric chainsaws and leaf blowers and there was even a, a battery literally a battery operated lawnmower I couldn't believe it like and like this isn't like there was no such thing as an electric lawnmower not that long ago never mind a fucking rechargeable battery one so th- there's been leaps and bounds made in, in that and hopefully will continue to be made and will solve that kind of waste problem that you're talking about but on, on automation have you an interest in it are the car dealerships talking about it are which is electronic electric cars uh, well, yeah. Well, you see, all, I suppose all the talk of Car autonomous cars are like self-driving cars. I would have assumed they were all going to be electric. Has oh. there been talk of well, autonomous were... petrol and diesel cars? No, I think like no. Do we, uh, so it's not a, t- a topic I'm fully up to speed on. But I think it's a case of Tesla are obviously leading the way when it comes to um, the self-drive cars. The other brands aren't trying to get into self-drive cars yet. They're just they're just still. They're still focusing on basically just having a good electric car. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So Tesla are like, Tesla have come out with, they've come out with basically, they have come out with, as I said to you before, about like when you are a a manufacturer, publisher, or whatever your business is, you have to answer the why. You have to answer the why and to be a solution. And I believe all the brands at the moment are just trying to, it's like, they know electric cars are still a little bit alien to, to people. So what they're doing is they're at the market where they're bringing out electric cars to be, electric cars are cool, electric cars are accessible. I think, if not my next car, the car after will definitely be an electric car, a full-on electric car. I'd love it to be the BMW i8, but we'll see what happens. But... um. If, if, if you're listening BMW <laughs> if you're listening BMW there's a, there's a good deal yeah. done deal for if you, you. <laughs> if you wanna if you wanna get in contact with me I'll swap my Mercedes for it um, <laughs> but it's um, yeah and I think it's a case of you know I, I hope to have an electric car and I think it'll be something at that time that will fit into the style of what I need but I think what Tesla are trying to do Tesla are trying to be like the future they're trying to be like they're trying to be the, the lead in the frontier and like I remember when Eamon and here Eamon Fallon told me about it and he was like going over Eamon and Brian the last time they were over in the States they, they rented Teslas and they were driving and did the self-drive and I said it was like surreal you're driving down the road and you're you're coming to a bend and you're like literally trying not to touch the steering wheel like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to get used to it and he says it's mental like and I think I think it's brilliant I love seeing advances in technology like that that we're like we're getting to like remember when you're kids and you used to watch Jetsons and we're like oh geez our lives are never going to be like that the Jetsons were those spacey the Flintstones like you know 100 years on yeah. and I think it's we're getting to the stage now we're getting to where we're seeing like you know all these technologies and things coming out that we never thought we'd see in our in our in our lifetime are coming out now but i think tesla are trying to be like at the front of that not so much i don't want to say as a marketing scheme but like they're that's their unique thing their advance their advance maybe you could call them the apple of uh you could call them the apple of uh car car manufacturers yeah absolutely yeah the you know? automobile industry yeah absolutely. the automobile industry yeah um you mentioned earlier about um, people gravitating more towards experiences than, say, products, which I, th- I think is a, a massively beneficial thing. Uh, I see a lot more people, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm doing it more of it myself, but there seems to be a lot more people out uh, running the roads, out cycling, um, competing in triathlons. There seems to be a new race here and there um, all over the place all the time, which is which has been great. And you're in that world as well you're i when we were working in aircon together i remember you got your first bike 
it was your first bike as an adult, say. Yeah. And I remember two things in particular. You raving, A, about there being disc brakes on it, which was the best thing in the world, and B, that it was red, I think. Yeah, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. And I actually can't believe it took you, it took you about 45 minutes to mention your mountain biking. And I want to move away from all the fucking digital media and how social media is going to eat your children alive and and all the rest of it and move swiftly on to the experience that different people are having, but you in particular, in relation to mountain biking. Yeah. You bought that bike in Aircon 10 years ago and what the fuck happened? Because something flipped a switch in your brain and you lost the run yourself. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) To to put it mildly. I feel like you've been holding back. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I used to... um, When I was a kid uh, and I would have been in secondary, I used to be, and even when I was in primary school, I always had a BMX and I always had, like, you know, a bike, especially a BMX. And I was always, like, obsessed with going into the woods and jumping off things and jumping over things and breaking myself up and breaking myself up and doing things that I knew I couldn't do, but I was always still trying to do it on my bike. And I, like, I always still remember to this day when I used to leave second, when I used to leave school, I'd be in first or second year and I'd be cycling home. And I'd go through Malahide Castle and I'd literally like, instead of just cycling down this path that went through the forest, I literally weaved in and out. And what should have been a 20 minute cycle used to take me three hours because every single thing that resembled a ramp or a jump, I was trying to throw myself off or bait myself into a tree or I don't know what the feck I was doing or just jumping off things on my bike. And I just always loved it. And I remember as I got a little bit older then I had I got a mountain bike and I'd always remember it was like a Trek 7000 and like it was just like it was a bike and it was like 700 pound and it was like it was a big deal and I think my mom and dad gave me half the money and then I had to pay them back you know over time and this was a proper proper bike at the time like this was like close to a thousand pounds worth of a bike and it was just it was mental and I had this thing and I was just fascinated by it but i was fascinated by it because of where i could go on it and what i could do on it and i felt like i was invincible on it and i was like i was just a boy with a bike i was a kid with a bike but then my dad would bring me up to the place like the hellfire club and he'd go for a walk and i'd go off and i'd be flying around the place like that as well and just so and just being around the forest and it was just something that it was just like compassionate so then as i got older like you know drink took over and then I was like, had Sophie and all these different life, cha- these life things happened. And I kind of didn't get it. I didn't, I just end up moving away from my bike. I literally went everywhere on my bike. And, um, but then I was like in, do you know what it was? It was a cycle to work scheme came along. Yeah. I remember that actually. Yeah. yeah. Cycle to work scheme came along and all of a sudden you could have a bike worth up to a thousand euros or you could spend a thousand euros on and you could only have to pay back whatever you got a tax free so i was like happy days and i went on and started doing research and straight away my love and my passion for looking at bikes and all the the trills that went that came rushing back and i because sorry to cut across you but at that point the internet would have only really recently became a thing so now you could you know google all the different types of bikes all the yeah, different brands so you could go on to all, all the, the online stores within a limit you could go into your desktop there was no mobile websites or anything at that stage but you could go through your to the desktop and everything else and you could look at it you could research you could look at different products you could look at like you know videos of what people are doing at a very very minimum level there was no still no youtube at that stage youtube was only 12 years old so actually there was there was youtube youtube but not as we know it 
Scotty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, uh, it was it was a case you went on, looked at the products, and it was that whole desirable. So you were looking and feeling, and then you kind of looking at the product, and then I went out to the bike shop, and I was having a look, and I saw it, and the experience of it, and I was like, right, I'm having this bike. And then I was like, but because I was an adult then, I was able to just put the bike in the back of my car and head up somewhere. But because of the internet, then I was able to look up and I was like, where do people go mountain biking? And because I had the internet, I was able to like, where do people go mountain biking in Dublin? And next, you know, there's a place in Tick Knock. I can drive to Tick Knock. I'll go mountain biking. Where else do people go mountain biking? People go mountain biking in the back of like, you know, uh, Glendalock or Lara or others. And all of a sudden, these places that you would never find if you drive around, you could just look up and then you could go to those places. And then when you got there you found them and it was because of the internet it made it more accessible to get there or it gave you knowledge that you wouldn't get because I wouldn't know anyone that did many mountain biking so I'd be like well, where the fuck do you go like yeah it, go, it opened your horizon yeah it opened my horizon so I went up but from there I had that bike for a couple of months that bike was worth a thousand euros I had that for a couple of months then I sold that then I bought another bike and it was like just a front suspension bike but then I got my first proper bike and I remember it was when I was in Grad Ireland I bought this bike for nearly two thousand euros and it was called a kona kona entourage and i was like this is a couple of years later and it was like loads of promo videos to it and fuck me like i was bleeding 28 at this stage and i was sucked into this i was like this is the business i <laughs> i want to do this i was like a child again like and i got the bike but the thing about the bike is and I suppose without, I don't, not that I want to get into it, but I'm a very, like, my brain never turns off. It's like the internet. It's like social media. It's always on the go. I'm always thinking about something. I can never really, really detached away from just, like, you know, having some downtime. But the reason why mountain biking has took such an, it has such an impact on my life is that when I'm out there and you, you cycle up to the top of the hill and then the buzz is that you, you come flying back down to the trees, through the chest. All I think about is just basically when I'm on my bike, I just think about there and then. You can't think about anything else because if you do, you crash your bike or you crash into a tree and you're going to hurt yourself. So it forces you to just switch off and just focus on living that moment. You can't like, you can stop and take photographs if you want, but you're still living in the moment and you're still doing what you want to do. And it's very, for me, it's very passionate driven. Um, and then on that bike, I remember one day I was cycling around Tick Knock, and it, this is kind of like you know a bi weekly thing. Then it was, it's going up, or nearly every week I'd make an effort to go up to the mountains and go for cycling. You know, I was getting better and better, and I was getting fitter doing it. And um, I remember one day then I was coming down on the head next to this grown man, fucking scream out. And it was basically a lad, that Stefan, that I met at the time. And he basically, after coming off his bike, and he was completely lost and didn't know how to get down to the Blue Light Club. So I brought him down, and he, he knew where to go then. And he was like, oh, I'll meet up with you. And from him then, I met another person called Declan. And then from Declan, I met Mark. And now I have a whole web of friends that I have through mountain biking. And we all share the same experience, and we go out all the time. We go mountain biking. And from that then, got into racing. And at each at each year now that I've done it, I've got myself a new bike and I've got more heavily into racing. But like in these years that I've done mountain biking now, I've done things where like I, I've, I've raced down the world's longest mountain bike race in the world, like the downhill race in the world. And what that involves is basically starting on the top of Mount Blanc in uh, Alpe d'Huez. And it's starting on a, a black ski slope where you're three, three and a half thousand meters up the highest accessible place on the Alps where you can get to on a, a basic ski lift 
and you fucking race down that mountain with 500 or two well there's 2000 but it goes in waves of 500 and you're flying down there's helicopters over your head it's, it's pure carnage like you've no control over the bike in the snow then you do like you're you're racing around the, the side of an alp out across the alps and then you come out and you see a valley and then you've got like spectators everywhere or and that's a real extreme experience and i've done that twice and it was amazing like being over there mountain valley and you can't explain what it's like that every morning when you wake up and this is the thing with mountain bike now is that all the ski resorts in the world they used to have no business during the summer but now they all open themselves up to mountain biking so you go over and you get a ski pass and you get the list of the tops and you're standing on top of these mountains and like you're nothing you're like in comparison to the world it just makes you feel it's, it's, it's just like you you don't you don't belong standing up there but then you're coming down and you're like the places you get to see on your mountain bike and coming down it's surreal it's places i never thought i would see and places that are experiences but instead of just taking it in you're like you're fully engrossed in where you are because you're coming down through the terrain like i can tell you that coming down from the side of the, the mount blanc there's like maybe seven different types of terrain that you come across so you start off on slate then you get to this real kind of volcanic kind of rock then you come across this real sticky kind of red muck and it's like but you're coming down and you're seeing the different layers of the mountain as it comes down to the bottom till you get to the village and you're coming down through the trees and it's just mind-blowing and to me, like, that's where my real passion is, like, on, on, on my bike. And, um, but then you even bring that to a step. So last year was my biggest ra- year of racing. Uh, I started doing downhill racing. So I've done enduro racing. Enduro racing is when you cycle up and down the mountain and you, you're on, like, you're working on kind of um, different stages, almost like rally driving. And, uh, but downhill racing is, downhill racing is intense. Downhill racing is like, you basically go to the top of the mountain, you get lifted to the top of the mountain on the back of a trailer and you go up there and you're in different categories and everything else. So this year is my first year doing it, so I was racing in sport and you're literally at the top of the mountain and you've got like a, a, a beam that you have to cross and the whole idea is, is that whoever can get from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain in the fastest time through a course that just set out and you're coming to like you have different features where it's a rock feature and you're going across big boulders and everything else to get through that then you come to a jump feature then you could be coming to a feature where it's really tight single track and you're going between trees then you come to a feature and it could be a road gap and a road gap is what it is is you come to it and you literally have to jump over a whole road and land on the other side and you've got spectators on either side cheering you on and you've got fucking lunatics in the forest and they've got chainsaws with like without the blade on it's like rawr, 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 as you're going through the fucking thing one time i was coming down the national champs and it was like a fellow with a flamethrower and as he came around the corner he's like Aah! and he's like cheering you on as if going down a fucking mountain full of hills yeah, fucking bicycle but you have, yeah you have all these lunatics and it's a really really like there's loads of spectators out for the wedding that made me really think that like you know the level i'm after getting into it and it's like it it's it's a case of a lot of the people that are standing on the side of the track or all those people that are into doing and think like oh fuck i could never do that and that was the thing like i thought like years ago well actually to be honest with you i've always just like every year i do something more something crazy on my bike or i push it to the next level i haven't stopped pushing it yet i really haven't and i'm, I'm not finished it. i like generally sitting here now my goal is to be basically the national champion. champion. I, was, I was going yeah. to ask, like, what kind of fucking level are we talking about? So. so I want to be, I would love to basically. So the races I do, I do the national, I'm doing the national league. So this year, I've never done downhill racing. And in my category, I came uh, fifth 
uh, or fifth or fourth, fifth overall in sport. And that's a seniors yeah, over age Yeah, category, so like. this is like, well, sport is kind of open to all ages, but next year, like, it's now just does masters, but I'll see which category I go into next year. But, um, so you do that, but it came down to a downhill racing because you're racing in the category and you're all kind of around the same level. So obviously then you have the elites right up the top and you have down the masters and all that. But I'm literally my first year into it. And like, one of the races my last race coming down i didn't get a podium all year round and i came fourth in the last race of the year and i was like the difference of me coming fourth or standing on the podium was 1.7 seconds and what is that in downhill mountain mountain biking turns nothing or loads or what it's it's nothing Nothing, yeah, yeah so it's a really competitive because the downhill course might be two two minutes 30 seconds you know, it'll be around that. It usually, of course, will be... So the, so the downhill course is how long, sorry? It'll be between two to three minutes. Okay. To get from top to bottom. Okay. So depending on the length of the course, obviously. But you'll have it. So that race in particular, the, the course was being done like in two minutes, 30 seconds. That's going down. That's like a drop down all the way from like looking at that place in Carrick in Wicklow. It's a pretty, it's a pretty long course to get down. And I know people might be thinking, it's like, oh, you're just flying down a mountain. Throwing yourself down a mountain... And basically keeping an average speed of maybe fifty or sixty kilometers an hour as you're coming, de- as you're basically descending through a mountain and jumping through features and keeping the bike upright and the bike could be ground. And on that particular day, at the end of the course, there was after being raining. So when you came across the last features, like when it's after being raining and you're coming across a bike and you come across a root of a tree, it turns it's like hitting ice on a car. Yeah, and well, it's just like a, f- a fling you off, and then you got crowd shouting at you as well. And it's literally like there's moments where you just it's just you have to go all or, or nothing, and it's either go big or go home, and you just have to commit to it, and it's it's pure pure adrenaline. The amount of times you come down the mountain and you have people shouting at you, cheering at you, and everything else. And I raced in the Enduro World Series earlier in the year as well. So the World World Series came to Ireland, and I got a place in it. It was like a lottery, got a place into it, and I competed in it. Didn't do great, but I competed it, and I finished that race with the world's pros. And that's the great thing about mountain biking because wherever the events are on around the world, so the world championship is on in, in Fort William in Wales or in sorry in Scotland next year, in uh, in in during I think it's like June. I can apply for that. So if I think I'm good enough, you can apply for it. Now, if you were to get a bike next year, Fran, you could apply for it, but you wouldn't because it's it's mental. So you know if you're at too it, advanced, basically. yeah. So if you know if you're able to do it, you can take it on. And that's the great thing about it. It's a type of sport where if you if you want to progress if you want to progress you can just put yourself forward and then you can basically go for it and that's the thing i really like about it. there's no limitations it's not because you're a superstar you can't do if you're good enough and you have the balls to take on the course you can go and do it but you, it's you said two things there if you're good enough and you have the balls what i was thinking what i wanted to ask you was what's more important or if there if you could break it into a percentage or like is it 50 50 between nerve and technical ability yeah i think there's there's definitely bits so there's lads i go mountain biking with all the time and we go out for our weekly spins or they slag me because every now and again i'll be like oh i'll come out and then i won't show up or i'll cancel whatever but i'd go out biking with them and they will be faster with me than me on the bike or they might be a case of they um you know they have a they have a better skill coming down to the mountain but they wouldn't race downhill and what downhill comes down to downhill is that you have to accept that when you when you crash in downhill racing because you're going so fast and because it's so intense if you cross you're most likely going to really fucking hurt yourself you're going to injure yourself and that's the thing you need to put that away where you're not worrying about like that fear factor i think so it is come down to a bit of nerve it's about pushing the limits a little bit 
And then the other type of mountain bike racing is that you're racing down mountains, but you don't have the same intensity of features. You don't have the big jumps. You don't have the big, the crazy features that are like, oh, if I, if like you, you can get around, you still break, you might break a couple of bones or whatever, like. Yeah, puncture a lung or, or whatever, know, like. Brain yeah, damage, th- minor stuff. Minor stuff, like on my whole, <laughs> my whole side is separated, like my shoulder and everything else. But like, you take on the minor things, but there is a risk to take with downhill racing. But the difference with downhill racing is that you have full body armor, you have a full face helmet on, you have all the guards, you don't take it lightly, you go in. So just just to kind of pause you a second, yeah. the, the full body armor, like you know what that is. The exactly. only other person in the country that might know what that is knows what it is, but like for everyone else so who's listening, like full body armor is so full. There's different grades of body armor you can get now. So body armor is like obviously something you put up over your head, and it's like a, like a bulletproof vest. It's like a kind of a, a, a hard compressed kind of plastic on the front. It also has a spine protector on the back. You have the protectors on the side to protect your ribs. You also have your knee pads on. You might have um, you might have shin guards on as well for rocks coming up. Um, you might then you also have your elbow pads. Um, and then some cases people wear neck braces. And then you have basically a full face helmet as well. The neck brace is just something that sits on your shoulder and it stops your helmet from rocking for too far forward or too far back. So it stops You'll your get neck. Whiplash. Yeah, so it stops your neck from breaking. Um, but like that, one of my mates that is on the team I race for. So I race with a, com- a team called Bree Racing. And so Bree, Bree, B-R-E-E, so Bree down in Wexford. So it's called Bree Racing. The team's called Bree Racing. And um, Stephen in round three, one of the lads, came down and he uh, he basically came to a tabletop jump, which is basically there's a jump. You enter it at a jump and you have to clear the top of the table and then you land on the other side. And he went into the jump kind of funny and his bike kind of tilted in the air. And when he landed, he landed twisted and he's now in a back brace. Fuck. Yeah. And like, what's his, uh, I can't, the word escapes me, but what's, will he be all right in a month yeah, or six months a, or what? No, well, he's in the back brace, I think, for six or seven months now. So he has to wear that and he's still in it now and he's still just getting back to kind of walking around. So there's like, there's always that, there's always that concern. And, and like on that particular race that day, the race, the practice and the race day had to be stopped three or four times. Because at the races, there always has to be an ambulance on standby. Um, so there's always an ambulance at the events and there's always two paramedics. And the race will be black flagged because if both paramedics are obviously being occupied or if the ambulance is gone, then practice has to stop. Of course. So it's like, it's 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 full on all the time. It's, it is always a risk that, there's always someone that breaks something that won the races. And that guy that broke his back... Um can is he itching to get back in the bike or is he gonna go oh, I think, you know, fuck that I don't know I don't know I think when it does get to it like a stage where if you if you do have something serious like that um you're 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 gonna you're gonna rethink what you do lose like, your nerve a little yeah maybe. I think so like personally for me now I last year I did the mega avalanche which is the big race in the Alps but then I decided just to go away for a couple of a uh, week or two on my own just to get away so I went over to Canada and the reason specific reason I went to Canada is because I wanted to go mountain biking in Whistler and I went all the way over to Whistler to do. Sorry, Whistler is a town or a mountain. Sorry, or? Whistler is a is a very famous ski resort in Vancouver, okay. and it's where everyone goes snowboarding and skiing. But it's also where people say mountain biking was born, and Whistler was the first ever a ski resort that basically turned itself into a mountain bike park during the summer. So they invested heavily to go in and built all these trails, and they've got these world famous trails and one or two like they have like an old train carriage that's up in um in the forest and it's called freight train and you literally come along and there's a jump and you jump up on top of the freight train you go across the roof of the freight train and then you drop off the far side of it 
down into another jump and then you're into a gully and they have all these bridges and lads are jumping over each other and it's like everything that you would have seen on X Games or you know MTV when you're growing up yeah, Red Bull or whatever, anything that's yeah. where this this is where those lads go at the summertime and the reason why I was going over there was because there was this uh, gravity camp and it was like summer camp for for adults and it's called the gra- it was called the what was it called the gravity summer camp so gravity is like a, a term they use for mountain biking for crazy mountain biking um so you're doing lots of jumps and gravity you're in the air and the whole lot so I was doing over there to do the GSC and went over there and the whole unique thing about this is that you basically if you have a few bob you can go over and the people who coach you no matter what level you're at, they bring it to the next level. But they're all the people off Red Bull. They're all the extreme sports pros. They're all the professionals. And you basically do a week training with them. So I was like, grand. So you have breakfast with them. You go through like the day's training. You learn things. They bring up the jumps. They teach you the techniques of what way it meant to control the bike in the air. They teach you how like, you know, how to handle yourself going into corners. How to like enter a corner. How to exit a corner so you leave with the most. Just like rally driving. Just like, yeah, 100% rally driving. How to drift the bike around the corner. And how to really bring your riding skills to the next level. And that's, I solely went over there and like i didn't know anyone i was going over to went over and there was like uh, lads there from colorado there's lads there from chicago i made friends and people that came up from australia this is a this is a big thing this summer camp and it was like maybe 20 25 other lads that were doing it i was really good unfortunately on day one of the mountain biking we went up and we we're fluting around and they were kind of sussing out what grade everyone's at because you kind of tell them what grade you're at and you're not going to do anything too stupid now some of these jumps could be 60 or 70 foot high in the air and like you, you're not going to take them on. Like so, you kind of suss out what level you're at. But uh, so we look on around lunchtime, and then we went down, had our lunch, and everyone was psyched up. And as you're getting the ski lifts up to go back up the mountain again to go to like do more things, there's all these signs in the grounds like take it easy on your first day, first runs. Everyone always bends it on their first run. Don't be the first one to end up in hospital. All this type of stuff. So we went back up and we're floating around on the bikes and I was a little bit tired and I should have drank more water because of the heat of like, you know, being in Canada at the time and we're coming across next now. I just had this stupid fucking crash and basically what happened was my front wheel just went off the side of a jump or whatever else and I went flat down and went sideways into a tree. And whatever about when you hit an Irish tree, like there's a bit of give, there's a bit, <laughs> there's a bit of give, and there's like there's a bit of a bend in it, like a bit of moss and, or something. Yeah, a bit of moss, but like these fucking rainforest fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so I fucking hit it flat on, and I basically, um, I was like, oh, there's fucking Jesus. <laughs> So there was a bit of a change. Next to all the Americans, I was like, "Hi, it's my to do an American accent there." And I'm walking with a voice there. <laughs> I'm flying through the <laughs> So um, these Americans going, "It's like, yeah, all right, Simon, you're all right." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm grand." I was like, "I think I'm after doing something." They're like, "All right," and I still was like, "No, I'm fine." I was like, "I'm just a bit winded." And it's uh, actually like, "You're going to be all right." And the pro lad that was had us at that group that day, he was an English lad, and he's like, "You're going to be okay." And it's like, "Yeah, I'm all right." And I was like, I think I just need a bit of deep heat. And he totally got it because he was English. And all the Americans were like, deep heat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a side. So I got back on the bike and I went and did another jump. And as I came down after this jump, my whole right-hand side just compressed down. I was like, oh, no, something, something's gone. Mid Like, no, as I landed on the ground, okay. the impact. So I was like, no, look, lads, I can't do this. I'm going back down to the hotel room. I need to get this checked out. Long story short, I got down to the thing, and this is on day one. I got down, and by the time I actually made it down to the hotel room, I tried to take my jersey off, and I couldn't. I barely ripped off. 
my whole AC joint on my right hand side. So your AC joint is the bone that controls the rotator in your arm to make it kind of your shoulder rotate. That and your, was and your arm move. Yeah, that was basically <laughs> pointing upwards out of the skin, not out pursing out of the skin, but pushing the skin up. Oh. And I'd also I'd also broke five ribs on my right hand side. So I rang the hospital. I rang the receptionist. Like, you need to get an ambulance. And they're like, here, look, I'm not going to ring an ambulance. It'll cost you a fortune. We'll just drive you around. So long story short, I basically a grade four uh, break on my AC joint and five ribs. So on day one, I was pretty much sitting outside a pub in Vancouver taking painkillers and just sitting there. And I couldn't fly home for five or six days because you're not allowed to fly when you have broken ribs because yeah, of compression. Yeah. So I had to just basically stick it out and just basically drunk. The only saving grace was while I was there, there was a yoga festival on. There was 2,000 women over doing yoga for <laughs> So I, was, I soldiered on through. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Oh, you know, just a bit of extreme uh, Red Bull mountain bike racing. Red Bull, you know? yeah. I broke, I had a six rib by the end of that night, broken rib by the end of that night. But anyway, um, so. <laughs> No, but then um, McLean. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a family show. So that that was like things. But the one, the reason why it's kind of going on about that is what I did learn from. Like that was the worst I've ever broken myself up on my bike. And when I on took, your bike, on my, there's another instance that yeah, I bring back. Yeah, right? sure. Stop. We won't. We're gonna get in that. But uh, yeah, so on my bike, that was definitely the worst I've ever got into uh, breakage. And like I have, I've broken bones. Like my baby finger there is currently broken out of place because of mountain bikes and. I've loads of other scars and bits. But the one thing I learned last year is that you have to be fit. You have to be training. You have to be like, you have to be eating correctly. You have to be eating properly or eating properly. You have to be training regularly. You have to be building yourself up. And I don't mean like building yourself up to look great in the mirror, or to look great in photographs, but that you can actually take a knock. Yeah, and that's, yeah. the, that's the one thing I've learned now this year with racing is like kept the training up all year round. Um, and it's a case of kept at it. So, I've took plenty of knocks during the year and I've bounced myself off boulders and I've, but like in the middle of the race and you just get back up or practice to kind of like dust it off and keep going. And that's the one thing about the sport. It's very, very demanding on the body and it's a lot of people will end up walking away and there's plenty of times where I come into work black and fucking blue down my sides and it's like you just get on with it. But I enjoy that about the mountain biking, how demanding it is and how I honestly think it keeps me focused in so many ways where if I have a race coming up, I focus on that race and I get myself ready for it. It keeps me down because I'm focused on that. Because I'm focused on that outside of work, it helps me being focused on other parts of my life. And I think that's why mountain biking is such, such a big thing. And I think it's something I'll do well into my 60s and my 70s, as I know many people that do. Speaking of the of doing it well into your 60s and 70s, age-wise, like the, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a well-renowned top five in the world. What age bracket are they? Oh, the, the top five people in oh, the world. So the top lads that do mountain biking are all like these little fuckers that are in their twenties. Okay. Um, but no, there's a couple of lads like the main downhill fellas. They'll be like late twenties, early thirties. Okay. But then there's like the lads I was telling you about that are over there that are that I was doing like the the gravity summer camp in Whistler. They're in their thirties and forties, and there's like it. It doesn't matter. I think when you get to an age. You definitely do lose your nerve a little bit if you have a bad crash. And I lost my nerve for a while. I lost it for, say, three or six months after that crash. But constantly get back moving again. And that was, like, into early this year. But now, after all the training, like, I'm back on form with my bike, flying around things, taking things on. There's very little things that will phase me or that I won't size up and do eventually. But I think it's a case of, as I go now, I'll keep biking away. But I definitely think as I get older... 
will I be as intensive? No, but I'll still enjoy going out for a spin on my bike and there's there's places where you can go and you can go for a leisurely spin and kind of just still be out there. It's my sport. It's the way some lads look at football, the way some lads look at whatever, whatever sports is in. And more recently, what I've got into is now rock climbing as well, something that me and my daughter do together. And that's really enjoyable. But again, it's there's obviously there's there's something where it's inside me where I'm just totally into that kind of adrenaline non I don't want to say not traditional kind of sports, but John, it mean like it's it's I like I like, I like sports to have a bit of an edge to it. Like there's two things that you actually mentioned that uh, there's parallels between the last guest I had on a guy called Roger Dardis, uh, a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and just an, an absolute across the board animal on on the mat and a, a really really cool really sound lad but he said something that resonated with me having a, a, a an mma background and it was what was it it was the med- meditative nature of sparring and i think there's a touch of that when you're fucking rattling down the side of a mountain at 100 miles an hour with fucking trees and chainsaws and blow fuck, you yeah. know, everything else. And even when you're just doing a bit of training, because when you're going down anything at speed and anything can go wrong in a split second, the one thing that you're fucking certainly not doing is worrying about what ourself is going to say to you when you get home or what the was that email or, in the morning or exactly all that shit is just you know yeah it's not even in the back of your mind it just it, it doesn't exist it's because total the second detachment, it, yeah. yeah it's total detachment and that's really meditative because my understanding of meditation not that i'm a practitioner of it by any stretch of the imagination but the idea being that you get yourself into a quiet room you get yourself comfortable and you, you know you focus on something your breath or whatever it is and the goal is to i suppose forget yourself to kind of lose yourself and to i don't know be in the moment or i don't know what the right terminology is but it's essentially just to focus in on something to the point whereby you're not worried about the bills and everything else and you don't have any anxiety and you don't have any anger and you're just at peace for as long as you can kind of sustain it and when you're sparring either in in mma or in bjj or if you're flying down the mm-hmm. side of a mountain it's it's essentially the same thing it's yeah. a it's a break for your brain from just life in general yeah i actually heard um i was watching and i think you're 100 percent right because i was watching and i've always i've always just sorry i've always just had that um I've always had that understanding of it, not because I read it somewhere, because I knew it was for me, it was the actual fact. And then from talking to other people that they experience the same thing, that when you're in it, it's it's in the now and you're living it. And it's exactly what I was saying. Now, I was watching something. I actually have a record and I meant to watch it back. I was actually watching a big fucking Red Bull mountain bike thing. It's it's thing called uh, Rampage. And it's this really extreme. It's the most extreme version of it where basically they're over in Colorado and they're literally throwing themselves down off the side of mountains and they're doing like canyon jumps that are like 150 meters wide and it's just like 150 it's, meters it's, not 150 meters maybe 50 meters it's yeah 150 feet fuck yeah yeah, yeah 150 feet so yeah so it's that's like that's all <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sissy's like but like they're doing these massive canyon jumps and they're like it's 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 bringing the sport to the next level and there's only like maybe 20 lads that get into the event that can do it and it's, it's very very like it's it's like if they crash they're dead kind yeah. of stuff like and but that's not far off what you're fucking doing you get the bad well, side get, of a fucking tree and yeah yeah like there's a bit that you can hit the neck like and it's grand but it's just yeah it'd be grand but um <laughs> <laughs> i just don't think about it like that so she anyway couldn't. you just you just get out you just do it but um 
you do it because you just don't think about it. So I don't think about, I suppose, and you think I am always just a couple of inches away from a tree. I'm always a couple of inches away from doing something. I've a few times where it goes a little bit wrong and then I've had to do ninja rolls down the side of a, 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 a rock. And it's just, it is what it is. And you, but you learn how to handle yourself. And when you come off, you know how to handle the fall. And it's like if you're fighting, you're doing uh, UFC or whatever like that, you know how to take a punch. And it's just, you learn how to roll with the punches yeah you know and i think that comes with it as well so you don't just learn you learn everything about it you you start off by learning by making small mistakes and having small crashes and then you learn how to go faster and you learn how to handle big crashes i've never thought of it in that way and literally just as i sit here talk about now i suppose that's what it is when you're doing something you're, you're you're developing a skill you your every aspect of that skill develops with you along the way and you learn how to handle yourself and know how to look after yourself in every way and I suppose the point I wanted to make about the thing is that I was watching that show about the mad rebel race and one of the lads came on or like and they were asking like why do why do lads do this? What what is it that makes them able to push the limits? And he actually said now and he had a term for it and it kills me that I can't remember the name for the term, but it's actually called front global or front minded concentration. And it's basically what it is is that when you're able to do something and when you do meditation like what you were saying a second ago it's like it's a case if you meditate on something and you basically force everything to the front of your head and to the front of your brain and you focus it on and seemingly that is a really powerful skill and as people are able to do that what you're able to do is you're able to focus your concentration and to zone it into one area and focus on one particular thing but it also makes you creative and it makes you creative and it also makes you more daring so it makes perfect sense that people who do extreme sports or folks or be it fighting or whatever it might be, they have to be focused 100% on what they're doing because if they don't, and I say Formula 1 drivers have this as well, where there's completely nothing else around them. A tunnel vision. Yeah, tunnel vision and you just hear it and it just totally focuses and it actually puts the rest of your mind at ease. Your rest, the rest of your mind is just switched off, it's calm, it's relaxed. All those synapses that are going all the time, they're like, whoa. And it's just like that. It's just silence. And because everything you're doing is just focusing on what you're doing at that time. And it's surreal. I I have I have done races and I've come down and someone just goes, did you hear those lunatics up there? Or, you know, you get downstairs or you get down to the bottom thing and everyone's like, sure, everyone's like shouting this or you watch back a GoPro video, especially when you watch back a GoPro video. So I'd have a GoPro on my helmet or I might have it on my chest. And you come down, you watch the video, and then you, when you're watching it through, you can't believe how much noise there is in it yeah. of people cheering you on. That or you didn't things. hear. You just don't hear it. Yeah, and it's not just, that it's not there. It's not that it's there, and you might actually do you hear it, but you don't hear it if you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. And you come through, and it's just like, um, and that's that's racing, and that's what gets it for me. And it's like, I go out all the time and I go out with lads and obviously, yeah, I, I better my skill by going out more regularly and everything else. But where I really better my skill is that I'm racing more and more regular. So I was racing nearly every month and every one of those races, I learned something about myself and about how to handle myself and my bike. And this year has been a big year. And next year, I hope to go back and where I came fifth, I hope to win the title and go back and really push it. Savage. And when is that? Or? Starts off, racing season starts in February or uh, February and March kind of time. So next year I'll be racing in, I'll race the downhill season series, the IDMS. Um, that will be the Irish, um, the Irish downhill 
mountain biking series so um i'll be racing that that's the one where i'll be most competitive but what i'll also do to keep my skills up is i'll race uh, there's two enduro series one is called grassroots i'll be racing in that again but just more to keep to keep me focused and then i'll also be doing the gravity but the one i'll be going in to compete most is the uh the downhill season and looking to win on a national level yeah yeah who's the current champ oh there's just different things so there's like different masters so there's uh there's one lad that's in masters 30s ian coates he's done very well for himself he's managing that and um, then there's another fella cheers another lad called jacob who's national championship national champ at the moment he's sponsored he's racing at world level i was i was going to get to that I'm, mm. I'm gonna go ahead and hope that you've got a big massive done deal sign on your front and not back at all. And not at all i don't have anything like that so it's a case of i'm just doing it it's like so i do get slagged like i have i have grown my instagram followers over the last while and everything else and i put up a lot of content and all that and maybe further down the road that like i don't want someone to sponsor me where they give me money or anything like that type of stuff but because the bikes are so expensive that like the bike i have at the moment is for enduro racing and there's specific type of of mountain bike rig you can get for downhill racing i can't afford to go out and buy one of them and if if someone wanted to sponsor me one of those bikes where they kind of gave me the bike and let me use it for the race season then happy days i'd be more than happy to wear their jersey and do that and that's that's a pretty done thing in ireland in the racing league where basically you have bikes and they're kind of sponsored or you know you get 50 percent off the bike and if i can get one of those then yeah i'll shout about i'll shout about their shop or whatever else on instagram and that would be great it's kind of like sponsored riding but it means i'd have the bike that would let me be more competitive can i afford to have a second downhill bike at the moment not at the moment i have too many other things going on outside my life so and but i would like o- to get to that level you're over the you're over the mountain or sorry, you're over the motoring section of, let's say, Dundee. The cycling section is a big section. Is there someone in here that can put you in touch with manufacturers? Or? Oh no, it's like no, it's 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 like I I know all I know all the people from racing. I know all the main. It's not even the manufacturers. It's like just key mountain bike shops. I think like, I think, learn to walk before you run. And I think it's a case of I've had my first good year of mountain biking in, in downhill racing. Literally my first full season where I made it to every race in the downhill season. Uh, before that I was doing it sporadically. So I think next year I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring my training up training up again. So last year I really focused on my training for the first time where like, you know, I was going to the gym regularly, I was doing it, I was eating healthy, I was I wasn't taking the piss, I wasn't like indulging too much in alcohol or or getting pissed like, you know, the week before a race. I was really like, you know, focused on it. So I think like what I will do is I'll do that again this year, but I'm gonna bring it to the next level. I'm gonna really go out there and hopefully next year I'll 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 get my first, I still haven't had my first podium. So I think like when I get my first podium and I get a couple of podiums then I might say, I'll go to a bike shop and say, here, what's the crack? Do you think there's something we could do here? Will you help me with a bike? I'll shout about your name. So the plan is to just do it another year as I am doing it. But to be honest with you, I'm not doing it to get sponsorship. But if I can get a bike, yeah, I'll take one. But I'm not I'm not going on this journey to be like, you know, the top of my at the mountain bike and, and to engross myself in it over the next three or four years where I come out on top. I'm not doing that to get the sponsorship or the likes. I'm doing that because I personally just want to do that. Yeah, no, no, no and I, I, think know, I think it's commendable. and I don't think you can do... <sighs> somebody who doesn't genuinely want to do it can't. can't kind of decide that this is what they're going to do. No. You, you need, go, you need to... If you're going on to do it for the fucking... The, the bits and pieces that come with it, then it's never going to work out. Well, th- this is kind of... 
morphing into a very similar conversation I had with a, another previous test of mine, uh, Graham Mackin. Graham is an endurance athlete. Okay. And cycling, I think, was his first love. He did uh, race across America. I don't know if you follow kind of road cycling at all, but yeah. he was one of the he was one half of the first two man team to complete the the race across America. Right. Um, and Mackin's fucking lunatic demands as crazy as you he's signed up in 2020 since the podcast he was telling me he signed up to do a race in 2020 it's called arch to arc and it's a race it's a triathlon from the marble arch in london so it's an 86 mile run i think to the coast swim the channel as you do and then cycle from the coast to wow um the arc to triumph so that's the race he's doing and he wants to and he's just he's a lunatic like he wants to row to the states and all this kind of fucking nonsense that'd be some swim after running that amount of distance wouldn't it? 86 miles as fast as you fucking can like what a marathon's what 26 miles I think it's 86 miles so you know an Ironman, four yeah. back to, that's pisses all over an Ironman yeah. an Ironman doesn't have a look in like um, like the, at the end of an Ironman there's a marathon this starts with like four back to back yeah marathons and it's it's point to point so there's no, you know, you do the run and then you, you know, have an eight hour kip or whatever. You get to the channel and you swim that and then you have a fucking whatever it is, 150 odd mile be race. Shattered. But the the similarity between you and him and the conversation that we had was I was getting onto him to pull his fucking finger out and get a dedicated, you know, Graham Mackin endurance athlete Facebook page and Instagram and, and the whole lot. And he's, he's, I suppose, very similar to yourself. He's doing it because he fucking loves it. Yeah. Um... And I don't think you need that. Like, and I see where you're going with you it. Don't, like, you don't need it. But, but I mean, no, if you can like, get fucking it, sponsored by... Why? Like... <sighs> why not? Because I'm doing it on my own bat. It's my hobby. It's my passion. I don't, but you're not, I don't, you're not taking it as seriously as you'd like it to because you can't the afford the bike or the f- gear or whatever it is. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. That's a fair point. But I think at the level I'm doing it at, at the National League, that if it's a case of I was to start taking... Say, for instance, I wanted to start going over. So say if I hammered out of it, I do really well in the Irish League, and then I want to start going over and racing in England. And if it's a case of someone to sponsor me and then pay for my... to get back and forth all the races, then happy days. That would that would be great. But that's the point I'm trying to make, is that I'm not at that level yet. And it's like, even the way I conduct myself in business, it's a case of that... It's not that I wait till the moment is right, where we're most easy win the client over, or anything like that. But you have to know when it's a case of that you build up you build up the planning in the background and then you approach it in the right way. And I just have the same outlook when it comes to my own self. So the way I am, the way my dealings with the way I clients is the way I look at my own life. As a case, I'm at a stage now where like, right, I did this last year. I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to do it like maybe five times better. And I'm going to do it because I know where I fell down. I raced every time I did a race this year, I'd never raced any of those trails before. They were all completely blind. I went into something where I'd never done it before, didn't know what to expect, didn't have the bike set up the right way to have times, should have had different types of tires with me, should have had different types of like, you know, rain jackets, should have had all these different things that I didn't have. I literally did it on the fucking whim of just like, you know, passing comments of what other people said to do. But now I'm going back into this year and if I could come if I can come top five and do it on the thing, well then next year's gonna be fucking cracking. And I'm going to be really competitive next year. And I'm going to learn how to look at the trails. I'm going to know the difference in that, making sure the bike is set up properly before each race and not be lazy. And there's so many different things that happen where if I had just given the bike a little bit more care and attention and, and looked after properly before I got into the races, I would have done better. And yourself with diet and exactly, the drink and whatever exactly, else. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And get myself tuned up. 
and do it as another year but going to someone now and saying oh it gives a bit of sponsorship why well maybe not the sponsorship then but definitely the dedicated um facebook instagram snapchat you know the, well, I have the, the simon uh, andrew shetty yeah, well, I have, racer stuff. yeah well i have the instagram i have my own instagram page and that serves its purpose of putting up things and you know it's it's a case of i put it up and it's it's all about my biking and the great thing about the mountain biking is and racing is that there's always loads of photographers at the races so they're always at key dits where you're kind of doing big jumps or you're up in the air or you know you're getting a fast corner and they're like they're proper photographs of you coming down trails and i have all those images and that content up on my instagram page and it serves well and it gets really really great engagement and i it's the type of stuff that i go onto instagram liking is the stuff i have of myself and it's it's great to have that off those races right well here's one for you wow. um I'm going to use one of those um, images as the icon for this episode. Say. Okay. And I could just take out the phone and take a photo of you now. But the 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 kind of professional photo of you, you know, 40 foot off the ground, flying by at 100 miles an hour, it's a better photo to use. Yeah. And it's... I'm, I'm doing these podcasts because I love doing it. I love having these conversations. I just, like, I'm having an amazing conversation with you. I've had amazing conversations with all the other lads, and I, I hope to continue doing that and do more of them and, yeah. and all the rest of it. And I'm not looking for sponsorship in the same way that you're not looking for sponsorship. That might come down the road. We'll, we'll tackle that uh, when it comes. But in the same way that I could just take a picture of you and put it up as the profile, I won't. I'll use the right image. Yeah. When I... I'm I'm in the process of setting up my uh, YouTube channel at the minute, and I have to be very careful about how I do that. Because, and I'm getting help from friends of mine, younger friends of mine that fucking know what the fuck they're talking about. Fifteen because... and sixteen year olds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So just as an example of do of kind of doing things right, which you fucking know inside out. You're a man that does things right. Um, I uploaded four or five videos. Um, sorry, I converted these podcasts into videos to up load them onto youtube and i had them saved as public on youtube for the last maybe three or four weeks as i kept kind of tweaking things and changing things around and getting a bit of image imagery done and whatever else and a friend of mine des seeprasad and hopefully have him on um said okay well first of all you can just delete that entire account and i was like why and he goes they're public and I was like, yeah, but I mean, I haven't promoted it, so no one's seen it. So it doesn't matter if like, it had two views or something from God knows where, probably me. And I was like, well, what difference does it make? And he said, no, but the way the, the YouTube algorithms work, they see a page that's been live three weeks. It has four videos on it. They're all two or three hours long and no one's watching it. So you're out of the runnings. So I had to delete that, start from scratch, save them all as private until the time is right and... It's it again. It's 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 doing it right. It's doing it the yeah. the right way. Now, my main motivation for doing this is because I fucking love doing it. It's because I want to have and spread these types of conversations. I want to yeah. open up people like you. And it's great being a part of it. It's great doing it. Like as well. it's, it, it is. Yeah, it's it's, it's really great. And, uh, to me, there's a, an obligation on you to get the social media element of it right to put it in front of more people yeah. to give them an alternative to fucking Carnation Street or. Juju Juice or whatever the fuck your one is called. Jojo Juice. Jojo Juice. <laughs> close, it was close, it was close. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? I think there's an onus on people like you, to, especially you, above and beyond fucking everyone else that I can think of that has that social media savviness, say, to, to promote yourself, to put yourself in front of more people, to inspire people. Because you're not, you know, your parents aren't 
billionaires. Do you know that kind of way? You you didn't grow up skiing in the Alps, and that's no. not what brought you to mountain biking. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah. So I think that there's a almost a responsibility, if not to use too strong a word, on people like you and the other people I'm having these conversations with to, I suppose, put their best foot forward and and promote themselves and promote their sport downhill mike downhill mountain bike racing who the fuck even knew that was a thing do you know what i mean i certainly didn't yeah um i would imagine the overwhelming majority of people listening wouldn't have had a clue and in case i forget you mentioned the the club in wexford give them a plug who are the how do beginners get involved so the great thing about mountain biking no matter what level you're at you can basically join in it's like when a race rocks up into your town or your county you can you can literally enter and there's loads of different categories for to bring to bring people into the sport in the same way I started mountain biking now obviously I did in downhill racing so I did quite well in downhill racing because I've been racing for four, for three years now in in a different kind of discipline but um Bree racing so B or E E racing um you'll find them on Facebook there's a public page we have our own private page but there's a public page to find them but then if you're in Dublin there's clubs like uh, Bike and Dirty uh, which is a really well known shop there's Mad uh, which is Mountain Mountain Biking Association of Dublin so there's loads of different clubs literally just look them up and they're all like the one thing about mountain biking is they all have it's such a community sport no matter where you are in the country there is a mountain biking country uh, club there somewhere and we all race at the same events throughout the summer savage and like in relation to like gear or that that someone's starting out like you need a bike or do you like you do, need, they, do these yeah, places so rent you, them out or what no you can go to places like you can rent them out so if you want to look at places to kind of get into the sport to rent a biking out there's two key places you can go to one is biking.ie which is also they have a place in you can rent bikes in limerick and also in uh, dublin and then if you're in dublin and you want to or close to dublin uh there's one place you can go to which is the gap which is glen cullen adventure park and you can rent a bike up there and it's like a bike park and they have it's like it's like a it's like skiing they have blue red and black blue being the easiest black being the most difficult and skill and you can go up and literally anybody of any age can go up and test it out and there's all different level and grades and the lads up there brennan all the lads look after you like so there's and there's like there's a mountain bike park up in ross trevor where the local council just spent four hundred thousand pound building it up over the last couple of years it's a big big sport and then in in tipperary you've got a place called bike um bike park ireland which again is a place where you can go mountain biking and both bike park ireland uh the place in dublin the gap and the place up in north called ross trevor they're all places where you can go rent a bike and you can buy an uplift pass so basically someone will drive you to the top of the mountain and you just have to cycle back down the mountain do the fun bit and then they drive you back up to the top and you come back down you drive back up to the top and you come down you just keep doing it all day long you don't even have to cycle up a fucking hill (laughs) (laughs) you lazy fuck if you just want to get into it really lazy because you can go mountain bike now you don't even have to cycle up a hill but the the beauty of that I think is for somebody that might be listening to this going geez I'd love to be able to do that but I'd never be fit enough to yeah so you can you can get into it like like what I'd say to you is if you are going to get into it take advantage of the cycle to work scheme get yourself a a mountain bike get yourself something that even if you're not going to get into mountain biking that's a bike that you can still use to go for a leisurely cycle um, you'll pick yourself a, a good bike up for five or six hundred euros, and then you can go for a cycle and just literally don't ever take on it. Stick to the, stick to the the places where go on to biking.e. It'll show you all the prices that have been built up by Quelcha. Quelcha is the forestry, um, and they are in charge of the trails around the country, and they have plenty of trails that are family trails where you can go out and take them on. And the rule is, the faster you go, the trickier it is. So just stay at your own pace, like, and you'll be you'll be fine. 
Right, yeah. Savage. Your own Instagram. What is it if anyone's interested? So if you want to find me on Instagram, it's just my full name. So it's Simon Andrucetti. Oh, that's a handy one. Yeah, Andru- <laughs> Andrucetti. So it's A-N-D-R-E-U-C-E-T-T-I. And if I'm the only person on the internet with my name. <laughs> full stop. <laughs> that's it. And I think it's quite unique. So be it Google, Facebook, anything else, nobody has my, my first and second name. No, there is no other Simon Andrucetti out there. So you'll find me fairly handy if you do come looking. Simon Andrzejewski, you're one of a kind in more ways than one. You're very welcome. And so, sorry, you, Fran. Huh? Sorry, you. You're, oh, you're, 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 too, you're, too you're a beautiful man. You're too kind. You're a beautiful man. <laughs> Brother, it's been an absolute pleasure having Thank you, you very on. Much. I'll hope to have you on again, maybe after you are the national champion. Or a cyber psychologist. Or a cyber psychologist. Whichever comes first. Maybe yes. we'll both come around at the same time. But um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, and thanks very much for having me on. Thanks again. No worries. Cheers, brother. So that was episode 8 of the Off The Lead podcast with Simon Mad Bastard, Andrew Shetty. Shocking sound fella, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation that I had with him as I have done all my other guests. And if you're enjoying these conversations, let me know. The email address for the podcast is imoffthelead at gmail.com. So I-M-O-F-F-T-H-E-L-E-A-D at gmail.com. I guarantee you that I'll reply to absolutely anyone and everyone that sends me an email let me know what you think. What do you like? What do you not like? Are they too long? Are they too short? Am I doing too many? Am I not doing enough? Maybe you'd like to come on. Maybe you know someone that would be good to talk to. Maybe you have a topic that you might like to hear me discuss either with you or someone else that you think might be good. Again, the email address is imoffthelead at gmail.com. I'll reply to anyone and everyone who who sends me an email. And if you're regularly listening so this is this is to anyone out there who is listening to these on an ongoing basis if you're enjoying them if you're looking forward to the next one say then I want to hear from you I, I, I genuinely do want to hear from you even if it's just to say you know well done or uh, who's next or you know what's in the pipeline because I've, I've big plans for this it's not even a podcast it's I don't know what it is being perfectly honest with you it's almost like it's a a philosophy or a, or a movement or a, I don't know, maybe a cult or God knows what it is or will become, but I'm really enjoying the journey and I hope that regular listeners will come with me on that journey and will be part of the journey and, and will help me progress this, whatever it is, on and, and move it forward from, from strength to strength. It, it's been great. I'm thoroughly enjoying doing it. I'm looking forward to a couple of the things that I have in the pipeline, which I'll, I'll announce soon enough. Um, maybe you'd like to hear me do a solo one, maybe you'd like to hear a, a discussion between two, three, maybe even four people, I, I don't know how I'd work that with mics, but look, let me know your thoughts, I'm off the lead at gmail.com is where you'll get me, and thanks for listening.